to What Are You Doing Movie Archives. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Down in Front. Our movie this week is the seminal work of weird, semi-gothic, oddly... Uh, fight Club! Hey! It's Woo! Fight Club! In which we break rules number one and two. Number one and two, because we are going to spend the entire movie talking about Fight Club. Okay, here we go. Uh, before we start... Uh, and before we get started, I'd like you to pop in your DVD, your file, your iPod, your whatever the hell... Press play and then press pause again when the 20th Century Fox logo fades to black. The first frame you perceive of all black, press pause and in a moment I will say three, two, one, unpause and on the plosive unpause you press play and I'll press play. We'll watch the movie together in perfect sync and it will be like any other commentary except this time with three chippy semi-drunken friends in your head. At the table today is myself, Teed Christie, and my buddy Brian a William Finifter Woo! and Michael Dorkman Scott. Hey everybody! I'm Trey well into. He's not here because his house is on fire. This is the week or it of will the be uh, soon. La Cañada fires, the station fire, which is causing Tahunga Canyon to go up in flames, and he's dealing with that instead of doing our pithy podcast. Priorities, man. Priorities. What a douche. You know what we should be doing is Lord of the Rings because that shit looks like Mordor. <laughs> he looks like Mount Doom. His house Wait, looks exactly like Mount Doom. Weren't we gonna have this week's podcast at his house? Oh, that been, oh wow! This is awkward. All right, then. All right, Brian, how do you feel about Fight Club? 1999, where were you? What were you doing? And did you give a shit about gothic filmmaking? I don't remember if I saw this when it came out. I think I saw it later on in college. But, um, yeah, it's it's Fincher and Paliunk, which is the... Somebody in Hollywood made that connection. Like, somebody at a studio, some studio executive made that connection. And earned and, his $200,000 for that year. Well, yeah, uh, Fincher made it, actually. Oh, did Fincher? Well, because Fincher tried to... Well, somebody still at a studio had to go, that's a good idea, oh, I yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fin- I mean, Fincher tried to um, tried to option it himself. Oh, and, really? but, but Fox got to it first, and Fox wanted a bunch of different people, including Peter Jackson, who declined this to go do The Frighteners. Um, but Fincher had wanted to do it, so he's like, please, 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 please. Even though he was like... Like, it was it was one thing than the other, because he's like, please, except you're Fox, and you fucked Alien 3, but please, you know, just kind of back and forth, and he, uh, but he eventually got to make... Uh, please, I love uh, you, you bastards. Yeah, exactly. But some, somebody in the, on the Fox lot made this connection and gave it the green light, and so somewhere there is a... a adequate producer. A adequate studio executive with half a brain cell. Who was probably fired since then. Probably. It's Fox. Michael, how do you feel about Fight Club? Um, I'm, I'm a fan of Fight Club. I actually... I didn't see it in theaters because uh, the trailers. No one saw it in theaters. Right. Well, the trailers made it look like this. I don't know. It looked like a movie called Fight Club. It, like, yeah, exactly. It looked like a movie called Fight Club where guys just beat each other up, and it was it it, it looked like um, uh, an adult version of that that recent movie Never Back Down, where okay. it was just right. like a, a movie about people beating the shit out of each other, and that's that's what happens, but that's not what it's about. That's, you know, that's so far away from what it's about, and uh, so. Um, when I actually got to see it, because a, a friend of mine, this came out while I was in high school, my sophomore, junior year, somewhere in there. Uh, I guess it would have been junior year. Um, but a friend of mine had seen it, and he really loved it, and he insisted that I watch it. So he brought it over uh, uh, when it came out on home video, and I watched it, and I, I thought it was great. I mean, uh, it's it's interesting, because as much as it's quote-unquote subversive and anarchistic and stuff like that, that's... Again, not really what it's about. It's a about. statement against everything that this movie appears to be. Right. It's actually it's actually a very um, optimistic and positive message wrapped up in this really nihilistic and, shit and unpleasant uh, right. kind of experience. Yeah. So so I I think this movie is uh, I'm very impressed with this movie. Kind of the the 
more it goes on, like it ages well, you know. Yeah, and, and it's sort of a requiem for the uh, requiem for a dream meets the Berenstein Bears. Yeah, although although I, <laughs> I I enjoy watching this movie a lot more than I enjoy Requiem for a Dream. Requiem is not a fun movie. Requiem to is watch. a movie that we couldn't even do a commentary for that because we would have to watch it twice at least, and, we, and we'd just that, cry. That overdoes your quota of two years per watching by. Right. Two hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of this, and this is this is the kind of movie that you can you can write like an essay about and not be and like not fully explore it. Yeah, exactly, and and not just be like using up words, being a pain in the ass, and yeah, just trying to write an essay. It's like there's a lot of shit you can say about this movie. So hopefully, we'll say some of them. No, in we're gonna commentary. completely drop the fucking ball. Yeah, exactly. This well, is, I, I, I went, I went and set us up. I'm like this this movie. You can you can just write some brilliant shit about it, and we're gonna be like, ha, Cox. So, <laughs> but <laughs> well, let's look, hope. they're beating on each other. Yeah. <laughs> This is probably among the top five of my favorite films of all time, which I think is probably a very, oh, that guy is 22 and he likes movies kind of thing to say, because, you know, he didn't say Citizen Kane. However, Citizen Kane would be in my top five, too. Bam! Well, good for you. In any case, Fight Club is one of my all-time favorite movies, just because it's another one of those, and we, we talk about them every now and then. We haven't done a whole bunch of movies like this, but it is a movie that is perfect in terms of what it sets up and what it expects you to want out of it and what it, what it, what it puts on the plate and says, here's what we're going to eat over the course of this movie and you're going to have a dessert that's going to make it all perfect which and is, worth it. Which is very interesting because it's it's a movie that kind of goes off the rails. This, this <laughs> movie, the this movie act, starts but. on letter A and, and goes back to le- letter like negative Q. Yeah, like, it, you, it, you it ends sh- up in a completely different alphabet by the time you're done watching <laughs> it's it. It's Sumerian and you still are so <laughs> with it. It's stylistically genius. The idea, the concept is, is really exciting and, and, and not new, but it is cool to see a commercial production put a face on this anti-commercialism statement, which, yeah. which eventually becomes sort of an optimistic, almost pro-commercialization, whatever. Anyway, it's, it's layers and it's layers pro, of coolness. It's, even though it's, it's violent and nihilistic, it's ultimately a pro-humanity movie. Right. Secular humanist is how I think I would mm-hmm. describe it. Sure. And uh, all-time favorite movie. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter, I had just a retarded crush on. How about you, Michael? Yeah? Uh, Brad Pitt's pretty hot in this movie, I gotta say. <laughs> anyway. I can't deny. Also, Jared Leto makes a nice appearance. Jared Leto. Who would later uh, do uh, fucking uh, Requiem, Requiem for a Dream. Dream. Brought that right on back. Cheers. <laughs> Bam. Here Ding. Perfect. That's the worst three. Grab your remote or your mouse. Get ready to click. Here we go. Three, two, one, on pause. And we see the uh, Regency logo, which I always New think, Regency. I, I don't know where old say, Regency is. Well, I but think it looks like a two. The Isle of Regency. I always think it's, think, always mm-hmm. think it's Regency 2, mm-hmm. which is stupid of me, and I don't know why I filled my podcast with that. Well, we haven't well, it's filled a good thing. it yet, but we can work on it. It's a good thing the internet knows about that. All right, right off the bat, David Fincher has apparently set a precedent for himself to just have the world's coolest intros. Mm -hmm. This follows a a fear a fear what what, synapse receptor uh, the 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 dendrites and neurons the implication of fear from the center of fear in his brain all the way out to the gun that's in his mouth. Well, I mean, it's it's giving you. I mean, it's it's cool, but it's also. Giving you a hint right up front that a lot of this is taking place in his mind. It's it it's all taking place in his brain, you know? Um and that's that's kind of what's going on here. It was And it's visually rad. It's too bad that Trey isn't here because this is designed very much like a ride film. It's it's intended to seem it's like a, a ride it's, film. It's one long uh, simulated one long take. And like a uh, a, a night dive, basically, through uh through the brain, through the uh the uh dendrites, axons and all that. And uh 
Uh, but it's hard to tell exactly what it is watching it through yeah, the first time. Yeah, you don't time. even know what it is until the like fifth time that you see it. Yeah. But it's essentially the world's coolest medical visualization. It is. It is. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, David Fincher, ha- having come from a visual effects background, he uses stuff like this, but it's not... Does anyone remember Seven? Holy shit. It's not the kind of thing... This is all digital, by the way, the, the pull-out across. Some parts of it more successful than others, but... Um, the close-up of the skin and everything, um, completely digital until right here, this rack focus the rack here. Rack is where they transition out Yeah, that's, that's real, obviously. Fight but. Club it was not the first to use, but it introduced into the common vernacular of filmmaking the use of photo mapping and, and photogrammetry uh, as a yeah. CG method, which basically posits that if you just take a picture of it and put that on a 3D object, it's going to look better than anything you could just create from scratch. Uh, obviously, a lot of the photons and whatever – no, not photons. That'd be light. With the neurons and the, the paint yeah. stuff, all the stuff in his brain was completely procedurally textured and the whole thing that they always end up doing with CG stuff. and yada, yada. But, L-systems. But once they get out into his head and, magic and even more do. so throughout the rest of the movie where they're doing okay, stuff he, like, by the like way, this, this. Yeah, uh, here they, um, uh, Fincher has talked about all of this stuff is photogrammetry like you say. He's, taking, um, he's basically taking pictures of a van and taking pictures of little you know, uh, Tupperware containers of – explosive whatever the hell in a van and putting those pictures on a 3D object and it's pre-lit the shadows are part of the pictures that they're texturing with there's nothing to do except for but, render it But and now you know watching this in, in 2009 10 years later that kind of camera move has become fairly commonplace Common. but at but at this time it was it, that was new that was a big deal and it was it was very much uh, like you were saying kind of laying the meal out and, and telling everyone what you're going to be eating David uh, Fincher even said um, that there's an entire Cinefix article on Fight Club because there ought to be. uh, yeah, well, even though you don't think of it as a visual effects movie, when you really Holy look at shit, it... shit, there's a lot of visual there's effects. There's a lot of stuff, because Fincher comes from visual effects, and he's comfortable with that stuff, and he knows how to use it to tell a story. But he, his whole thing, like that shot we were just talking about where it drops down and, and, and into the parking see, and structure and, parking and yada structure. yada, um, from his perspective, uh, he was saying, the first 40 minutes, you're teaching the audience how to watch this movie. Because at the time, it was a very different movie than they'd seen before, and it, it was very... Um, uh, Fight Club. The, the movie is based on a book by. How do you pronounce his Palenic, name? Uh, Palinic. Pal- Palinic. I was. I thought it was Palion. Palion. Palinic. Palinic. It does not rhyme with Palinic. It's Palinic. It's so. It's. It's. I don't know. Everybody has. Everyone, everybody everybody, everybody listening. Here we go. Ready? Say it with me. Pal. A. Nick. Palinic. Okay. Palinic. Um. I thought it was for the longest time. I, I thought, thought it was, was like Palanwick or something. You know, but everyone has something else. But. Um, more photogrammetry. Was, yeah, this was based on a book by Chuck Palahniuk, that guy, uh, <laughs> who who wrote it in uh, in 1996, or it was he probably wrote it before then, but it was published in 96. And um, I've I've read the book, and it's kind of it's a little it's a little same, a little different. Well, Colin yeah, Colin but, but it's it's actually it's actually kind of astounding how faithful this movie is to the book, especially when coming at it because I saw the movie first. Um, of and course I, you did, and you I don't read books, and I didn't eat, exactly. I'm illiterate. <laughs> didn't but, have um, a Kindle at that point. The um, I uh, <laughs> I, w- I saw this movie before I read the book, and in fact, at the time, I didn't even know it was a book. And when I found out it was a book, I was like, "How can that even be?" Because this this feels it's so, so much. Visual. 
It's so visual and it feels once so again, much. Once again, explaining to the audience, guess what? We're going to watch this kind of movie now. Yeah. Because if, I can imagine this is the... I wonder if they even put this in with the intention that if we're going to lose someone, we should lose them in the first two minutes. Right. The, the, but that's the thing. I mean, it's... Um, and they um, they talked about this. I mean, this is motion control. And they actually, if you making, watch making it... Making his apartment look like an Ferny Ikea catalog. Ad. Yeah. Or, or Fernie, yeah. Their Fernie is their ripoff Ikea. Yeah. But um, it's it's interesting because the things pop in, but the like The ambient, radiosity yeah, changes. The ambient light that they effect that they have it fades all, it, in before they pop in so it feels before little, the lights pop in but before the objects pop in because okay. you know when you put an object in a space it, it, it changes the reflection of the light, of right, the light right. inside the room so they they um they put that light change they fade that up before the object pops in so to, that it works i mean it's something it that could have done insanely wrong and i think i think it feels very lived in and real right in fact but, you watch that and you think wow they must have just done this with moco and just done it a billion times with different objects adding in one by right. one no no but but what I was going to say is this feels so much like a this this is so appropriately a movie like it feels like something that does have that to be a movie has to be a movie it's designed to be a movie here we go here's our first little flash frame and uh, we're going to see him in the next cut but but just what we're talking about here Bam. like boom and uh, they talk about oh people you know it's so fast people don't notice it I'm like I always notice that uh, yeah but, I, I couldn't and I I was wondering. I wonder if that's that's, because, that's Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden, by the way. That right, little as, flash, we'll get to catch it. I wonder if I notice that now because I've edited so much in my time mm-hmm. that if I if I'd really seen this before, I knew right. anything about them. I don't think at that's all, it. They actually have they've done studies about this and how people. If you listen to old radio broadcasts like Prairie Hope Companion and, and stuff way back in the day, like even farther back, like 1920s radio broadcasts, War of the Worlds is a good example. Pop that in and listen to it. They're talking so fast that we don't even understand them half the time. Right. And, and it's one of those things where, at the time, people were so used to hearing radio that they could speed it up, and the entire the, the society listened faster right. than we do oh, now. Oh, we're just talking yeah. about but, the MTV but, but, generation exactly. idea, yeah. But these days, people watch much faster, and if you, played a, if you played a Tony Scott film for someone from the 20s, A, they'd be like, oh, God, society's going to explode. And B, <laughs> they'd be like, I don't even know what I'm watching. Because right. it, it, t- it would take them longer to process what they're seeing. But right. we... I, I don't think it's so much that you that you edit. I think it's just a product of the fact. Our that brains is faster. We see some. Yeah, we're so much. Yeah, we're just smarter. better at processing the visual information. We'll never make but, the same mistakes again. But yeah, it's it's kind of amazing how close this is to the book because both the book and the movie. It's like I can't see how you could tell this story in any other medium. Like you watch the movie and you're like, how could this ever not be a movie? Like there's no other way to tell this story and then you read the book and you're like, I. They could like, make a movie out of it. Exactly. It's all narration. You, you look at it exactly. You look at it and it's like. If if someone gave this to me to adapt, I wouldn't know where to start. I'd be like, uh... You'd make the fucking orchid d- thief. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I would give up and just make a movie about how difficult it was for me to adapt this other thing into a movie. Meatloaf a day, of course, awesome rock star singer guy, is about... Who would do anything shorter. for love, he is about sh- but not that. You know what he's referring to? <laughs> yes. You know what he's referring to? No, I don't. What is he referring to? Let's move on. All the, right. Uh, <laughs> the, uh... Take Actor, that. We'll tell you later. Meatloaf is about five inches shorter than Edward Norton. Edward Norton's really. It's on Wikipedia, by the yeah, way. He's, what he's what he's referring to in that song. I love Wikipedia. Wikipedia. It solved like twenty years of of my not Wikipedia. No, <laughs> Wikipedia. Chewbacca would not do that either. exactly. He would not. However, do that for if Jar Jar were to do that, that'd be pretty fascinating. Brian, it's actually not as cool as you think it he's is. He's talking about going down on a chick. Put your laptop. No, away. he's not. Yes, he is. No, he isn't. No, he, he isn't. No, he isn't. All right, all right. Okay. In, Let's with, stop our Fight Club commentary. All right. No, no, no. Within within each each. You guys go on. I'm just going to check Wikipedia. No, with within each verse of the song. Yeah. He talks about um. 
he he says what he wouldn't do. It's it's kind of badly structured and a little obtuse. You have to really listen closely to what he's saying because he's saying uh, what I you know he's saying I would do this and this and this, but I'd never blah blah blah. I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. And he's referring to what he just said in the verse. He would never do. So it but but Does you it have change to, verse to verse. It changes verse to verse. Yeah. Oh, that's so bullshit. It's, yeah, it's not a it's not a mystery that uh, that a lot of people thought it was. And it's funny because he's he's he says that's the number one question he's been asked by fans like what's that and he's like it's it's right it's, in, the it's in the verse and and uh, i think it was either his producer or like the bass player or something they're like dude no one's ever gonna get that that's a little too cerebral and he's like no it'll be fine but no one ever oh, got it well, so he gets he gets his own for that one. yeah but but like i say i had always heard that it was going down on a girl yeah well people come up with their own theories when they don't know the actual answer but... well that was funny because there was a okay we'll, we'll move on anyway anyway now you know edward norton's taller than meatloaf who would do anything for love, but not whatever he's mentioning. But not whatever he's talking about in the given verse. All right, here we go. Right off the bat, this is your typical Chuck Palahniuk awesome idea. Okay, well, what happens in 1990, you know, the, the, height, the height of irony and postmodernism and, okay... They have self-help groups, but what happens if you get addicted to those? Right. Bam. Well, well, and there's there's also the point which is the beginning of what of what this entire movie is about is is he he's going to this place and and trying to leech off the suffering of others just to feel something. You know, he's he's living in this in this consumerist and and advertising based world. And he doesn't feel anything, and the only way he can feel something is to is to try and approach these worlds of pain and death. Um, to 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 try and you know he's got to go to extremes to try and have a sense of being alive. It's basically a living fetish. Yeah, yeah. He's he's it's, it's he's got to he's got to go to places that involve death so that he can feel alive. It's a drama fetish. You have a nice, comfortable, secure life where everything is pretty much taken care of, and mm-hmm. then you feel like, well, what's the point? What's the point? And shouldn't there be something more interesting going on? The uh, the obviously that was not shot on a cold set. That was actually shot on you know a coldly lit set. Are the, you going to say they use the they use the foggy breath elements from Titanic for yep. that shot, hmm. and then another shot later where they had all these because it was another Fox movie, wasn't it? Wasn't Titanic? Oh uh, yes, yes, yes. Twentieth Century Fox, and they had all these plates that they had just shot for this movie called Titanic, which had cost so much money. God, they're never going to recoup their expenses on that piece of shit. Fucking James Cameron, the abyss sucked. What a hack. And uh, they had all these plates where it's like smoky, foggy breath. We'll get back to this later, but there's a lot of Fox utilizing what it already had at its disposal <laughs> to get away with a whole bunch of visual effects tricks. But we'll get to that towards right. the end of the film. And, of course, we skipped over the fact that the, um, the penguin spoke just then and it said slide. Slide. Which is, which is uh, what, what my um, high school friend considered kind of the central um, point of the movie that he took away with him, which is just... In in his opinion, it was just stop worrying so much. Just you know, go just let flow. go, just let go and slide. And I was like, that's an interesting. In fact, he he um when he graduated high school and went off on his own, he actually got the word slide tattooed across his back. That's really cool. Because because he was so he was so moved and influenced by that element of this movie. Slide is also a central point of interest to any worth its weight uh, playground. That is the most awesome. Just that's really fun to do. I love people I, I, that don't smoke don't understand the fun. Blowing smoke rings and doing the Marla Singer push in are two things that you can do in your car <laughs> with the windows rolled up that make you feel rad. I think. I think um, especially I when you inhale with your nose while you're doing it, you get this like weird Snoop Dogg thing where smoke is coming <laughs> out your mouth and into your nose, and it's like a little loop. I think Helena Bonham Carter, by the way, it, she's she's like um. I I think I don't think we were talking about this um on on air, uh, but we were talking about it. Uh, beforehand, like Brad Pitt, 
has gone out of his way to avoid the pretty boy look. He's gone to He's the most gorgeous man on the planet, and he doesn't want that to be the case. Yeah, he takes he takes roles that don't that don't leverage that. He right. takes roles he's where he's out of the Thelma and Louise roles. Yes, exactly. And and I think Helena Bonham Carter does the same thing, and I re- I really think she's great for that. Like she's she's a She's a pretty lady. She's gorgeous. She really is. But she... God, I love her. She takes all of these roles where she has to look nasty and she has to be this horrible bitch of a, of a creature and just like... <laughs> she, she just takes all these, uh, all these really interesting roles that it's like... It's the kind of thing that, that back in the day, like, no actress would want to take. They wouldn't want to be those roles, you know? I mean, the, in fact, I remember a problem in Wizard of Oz where they lost... Yes, I was going to use that same one. They went through a couple one. of... Uh, at least one... Wicked Witch of the West, because they were like, I don't want to be ugly. Exactly, uh, exactly. So, meanwhile, Helena Bonham Carter's like, Bellatrix Lestrange, bam, let's uh, do it. And, and there's no, <laughs> you know, she's, well, like like a lot of the stuff in the Harry Potter movies, and I'll get to that. Is it oh, just- I'll get, we will all get to that eventually, whether you like it or not. Ah. And um, But um, yeah, she's just perfect ca- casting for Lestrange. There's no other Bellatrix Lestrange but Helena Bonham Carter. Female, female Jack Sparrow. Brian, go. Is it just me, or does he look like, in, in the Harry Potter film, at least... I love that last. scene, by the way. We just talked over it, but it's a scene where the, the cancer chick is trying to get fucked before oh, she yeah. dies. So I think pathetic. that's an awesome so scene. So absolutely pathetic. But doesn't it look like she's walked straight off the set of Fight Club when she makes her first appearance in that Harry Potter film? You put eyeliner on Helena Bonham Carter, and I she guess looks it's like, like hard... Helena Bonham Carter with eyeliner on. I guess it's hard to avoid. But I, I, but I, in I, the theater, when that when she first walked on stage, it was like, did... But they let her keep her clothes from Fight Club? I don't I, get the deal. I, love I thought the, she was much more of a female Jack Sparrow, to be honest with you. Right. Really? I, but I love the actors who are willing. I think we, t- we talked about this with Jurassic Park with Sam Neill. The people who you feel, you're like, you are a talented person, and I re- respect your talent, and you're willing to do these kind of pulpy fantasy, like the kind of roles that would not have been respected 20 years right. ago, you know, I, I, and, and almost exclusively that with, with k- people like Kenna LeBonham Carter. And I just, I love that about watch her, but, right but she's also fucking Tim Burton. The coffee, so there's... She's, she's approached by Edward Norton. Watch the coffee. It just starts overflowing and she, you see her register it. You never notice it if you're not looking at the coffee, but she's like, Oh, oops. That's nice. It's funny that you, there's a, there's just retarded levels of things in this. In fact, it's even, even in the commentary, you make reference to the fact that in the final shot that they used out of Fincher is notoriously take heavy. Uh, but of like the 50th shot, you know, take that they used when they're all coming out after they've threatened the uh, public commissioner guy, and they're all wearing their waiter outfits, and they come out and they're all like, "I'll go this way, you go that way," and, and he's like, "Wait, where are we going? What?" And he follows them off. In the background, you see that Meatloaf's character, Bob, his pants fell off. His name is Robert Paulson. His name, his is, name Robert is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. His um, pants fell off. It's just like funny shit like that. That's not actually a decision made on, you know, the merits of, haha, this will be funny. That was just an accident. But it's stuff like that that makes this movie but, but, but fun to watch. It's always stuff like that. You, you know, you got to love the director who, who as much as, uh, as much of a, um, I hesitate to say control freak because Fincher is not too much a freak about it. But perfectionist he, is better. He's a perfectionist. Yeah, he likes not to choreograph. As freak as other directors. Yeah, he likes to choreograph the action and make sure it's all like the way he envisions it and gets the shot across. But at the same time, being willing to have a shot like that happen and be like, that's fucking funny. I'm leaving that in. Or, you know, if Meatloaf came up to him before the take, hey, David, what if, the, what if my pants come down? At Actually, the end? it happened after the fact. He came up to David Venture after the fact. He's like, my pants fell down. And David's like, awesome. awesome. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, in, in, uh, in those kind of moments where the director has enough freedom and enough confidence where if the actor or whoever can come up and say, hey, I have this idea. What if we do it this way? The director is not locked into this vision that they've had for months or years. 
they they have the freedom and the confidence to go, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Let's exactly. try it. Exactly. And that's what it is. It comes yeah. down to confidence. It yeah. comes down to, you know, um, I'm not sure if, if we've said this on, on the show before, but I've, I've definitely um, talked about it in other uh, contexts or venues um, where it's like, you know, the director, there's a reason he's called the director and not the dictator. You know, he right. doesn't have to have <laughs> all the ideas. He just has to be able to recognize the best one. To choose which ones. And go, this is getting us, you know, this... This is the direction we're going, exactly. and this gets us in that direction. It, it's different than what I thought, but it still gets us there, and I like it, so let's do it, you know? And this is something they never they never stop about it, but she's just stealing somebody's clothes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she just comes in, grabs them, and goes. Yeah, I think she, yeah. <laughs> I, the, little moments like that are great, too, because they don't. They don't talk about it. You yeah. know? They don't make any deal like about it. It's fucked up West Wing. It's just exactly. a walk and talk. What are you doing? Walking. What are you doing? Stealing clothes. Whatever. It's the same thing. It's just yeah. fun to watch. This movie is one of my favorite all-time films. And my favorite Disney film of all time is The Emperor's w- New Groove. Okay. Um, and it's funny because right. I didn't realize... I'm, I'm ready for this. Go I ahead. I didn't right. realize Put until I together. watched Emperor's New Groove after repeatedly watching Fight Club on loads of ecstasy. <laughs> the um, similarity in timber between David Spade's narrating voice and Edward Norton's narrating voice. Mm. Watch Emperor's New Groove and all of a sudden you go, that could be Edward Norton talking right now. I, I gotta say... Uh, it doesn't work bad. It doesn't work very well this way because you can't picture David Spade's normal baseline talking voice. But right. when you watch Emperor's New Groove you go, he sounds a lot like Edward Norton. Yeah. And and I also... Um, Emperor's New Groove is one of my favorite of the recent Love Disney crop as well. And Love I thought I was going to hate it but, you know... I was in high school and I was friends so with a lot of girls who wanted to see it. But they, but I, Patrick I loved Walburton. it. Yeah. Oh, it's great. We'll get back to that one whenever we watch that yeah. movie. Yeah. All of these movies. I, I like you he, relating them. I'm like, I'm trying to imagine the Emperor's New Groove version of Fight Club. Trying to keep like, you on your Trying toes. to put them together. I'm like, oh my god, okay. my brain. All the mo- all the names that he references here, or she references for him. The names that he's taken at these fight at these various self help groups are all names of Robert De Niro characters from the 70s. Nice. Cornelius and all of those things. Rupert. All right, but of course um, we don't know his name. We have no idea what his name is, and in fact, in the script he's referred to alternative. No, in the book he's called the narrator, and in the script he's well, called in, Jack. In the book later, he doesn't. In the book he doesn't refer to himself. He's narrating, but but in the book because well, say what you're going to say. In in the later in the film, there's a there's a sequence where he's reading out of these Reader's Digest knockoff books that have a, a, a like a small sidebar type column in every month. In the new publication, there's a thing that says, I am Jack's insert body part here. Yeah, I insert anatomy stuff, here. Yeah. And basically, they make a thing out of it where it's like, I am Jack's raging bile duct. And yep. all of a sudden, it's like, well, he's referring to himself in this case, so we'll just call him Jack. Obviously, yeah. that's something that was written on the page, and this character was just reading it. But for the purposes of discussion online and other things, his name is Jack. Real his fast, name, look, at now, this, look at this. Wait, stop. Right here is an argument goes on about whether or not that's a real guy that's not Tyler Durden, on mm-hmm. which he... he, he predicates right. the nature of Tyler Durden and his brain on, or if that's actually the first time he's just inventing Tyler Durden and his brain. Right. Uh, that's that's a good question. I mean, he's going the other way. So I would, he's going but, the other way. But then and, again, and we have seen little flashes of Tyler already. You're right. So, so. I guess that's true. He probably was a, a machination even at this point. Yeah. But um, uh, what I was going to say... The first time you see a Brad Pitt talk, or Tyler Durden talk, watch right here. Here we go. Uh, on this little TV commercial for the hotel, on the far right, Brad Pitt... Mm. But hmm. just in the, um, I've in seen the, this movie before. <laughs> well, that's that's probably where he gets the waiter thing from. Yeah. But um, we uh, we were talking about how he goes by Jack. You refer to him as Jack online in um, in the book. 
it was I am Joe's. Yeah, it was Joe's or whatever. So they changed so, that because Joe's everywhere sued. Uh-huh. Yeah, but but it's almost like you can you can tell what someone's perspective is as to whether or not they refer to the narrator as Joe or Jack <laughs> based on where their what their starting point is, whether it's the book or the movie. Funny little thingy related to that concept. I ousted a girl who I had. A, I, I had That's I, interesting because he just talked about the like the effect of the fat on the seat, and then human fat comes up later rather significantly. It's that, as if the whole the movie knows what it's doing before we get to see it. But uh, I, I know that that's something we shouldn't be commenting on, but we really need to because most movies don't do perfect. that. What the fact? <laughs> yeah, what? they they just they just they they don't tie in this well. It's like you were saying. It's like this perfect movie that just sets everything up you just don't realize it it just seems like these weird offbeat comments all the details come back to the these central ideas yeah you see an error here in the window behind her right now you see a flashing light in the wing and the city and all that and the oh, shot prior to that hold on hold on the, we, we've got a um he's talking about the crash watch blink and you miss it but we see the uh flight attendant boom die right there we see her just get splattered across the side of the thing this is just an insane sequence yeah and by the way this uh this guy right here is the vfx supervisor yeah kevin mack kevin mack the um, or one of them, the uh, one from DD. The uh, shot where you see the lady in the city in the blinking light is a major change from the shot just prior to that same angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they didn't burn in the background. You can see that it's just a black window. Ah, anyway, Tyler Durden. Dun dun dun. God, if you want someone to be just insanely hot and completely insane, cr- charismatic cool. and insane and. Just over the top. Who do you hire but Brad Pitt? Yeah, but at the time, at the time, did we know that? What else had he done? Seven. Okay, fair enough. No, no. What seven? Before? It was ninety-seven. Huh? Seven was ninety-three. Ninety-three. Seven was not ninety-three. Was it? Yeah. No, Whoa. I think you're thinking of the game. No, the game was after seven. Oh, the game was ninety-seven. What the hell? All right. Anyway. Well, I mean, yada, yada yada. Brad Pitt was around, about. but he was he was the pretty boy, like we were talking right. about. He was like the Meet Joe Black, right? Um, Joe Black was the same year. No, was, Joe was Black was year? before this. Yeah, Joe Black yeah, was. was before this. That's right. Where he got the fuck killed out of him, which was amazing. Seven was ninety five. The okay. game was ninety seven. Okay, okay. And his next film after that was, ladies and gentlemen, the best of George Michael. So there you go. All right then. Are you sure that was a film or just the thing he was in? There was a video. All right then. Anyway, did did you ever um? You went to film school, right, Brian? Yes. Did Did you ever run into those people who you were like, "Oh, I'm making a film." They're like, "Are you re- making a film or is it a video?" My actually, my one of my no, roommates Brian in college. Was that guy. No, I was not. <laughs> my roommate in college, who he was one of the guys that we make videos, as he would uh-huh. call or tapes, he would like to call uh-huh. them. But since we were shooting on tape and we weren't shooting on film, we weren't filmmakers, and uh-huh. uh huh. Yeah, we, we're not really friends. Well, anymore. guess what? <laughs> Directors aren't filmmakers either. The guys that make film are filmmakers. Fucker. By the way, um, he's talking about the recipe for making like napalm and stuff like that. They, they, had, to ex- they had to excise the recipe <laughs> because people would make napalm and they'd get fucking sued. It's exactly the kind of thing that they do on MythBusters, where they'll tell you the ingredients. The ingredients are blur the mystery and louder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love it. He shoots him down. Oh yeah, I get it. It's clever. Yeah. <laughs> This is something that I still quote to this day. This movie isn't is surprisingly uh, absent of, of retardedly quotable lines. There's mm-hmm. several lines that people do reference, but it's not one of those Back to the Future Which come, one where, coming up right now. This no, is the one that I always use at a movie theater. A question of etiquette is I pass, I give you the ass or the crotch. And in fact, I usually shorten it, just abbreviate it, and be like, ass, ass, crotch, ass, ass, crotch. And I basically <laughs> do it as a joke so that every time I'm passing a girl, I get the ass. Every time I'm passing a guy, I just put my crotch right in his ear. 
So don't go to the movies with me. I was learning that lesson the hard way. This is hysterically funny. This guy has... I, I don't remember what his connection to the production was, but I think he was friends with Fincher. And they brought him in to play the security guard. It's just hysterically funny. Yeah. In the event of a dildo, it's, it's, we use the indefinite article, a dildo never looks at him. Your dildo. <laughs> <laughs> God, I love this so much. This movie is gorgeous and gritty and horrible and fluorescent and, and, and shit. This was, this was also before um, DI became significant. So this was all chemical. This was all the way they shot it. You know, They had to actually plan it as opposed to just doing this later in the process. Well, I mean, I wonder how he, what the process was for Seven because this looks like it could be intercut with Seven. It's just the mm-hmm. same sort of whitewashed, deep black look that he has for a lot of his films. Well, he probably... I mean, does he use the same DP? Do we know? Must have been the same DP. I, I can't imagine it wasn't the same DP. Up. Anyway, you guys keep talking. In, the, in any case, talk the, dildos um, or whatever. Oh, this is funny. In the background, blah, blah, someone, blah. This, he steals this guy's car, and you can hear someone else say, "Hey, that's my car," which makes you wonder what's actually yeah, happening. There it is. In so you can see it in the subtitle. Well, exactly. Part it's of the, like, part what of this movie happened? has to do with what they're presenting to you, and what they're as a, as a film, it's presenting to you as fact, and you're going with it, and it will later fuck your brain. But in reality, something has to happen throughout the entire film. What's funny is that the argument I've heard leveled against this film by people that are too uh, realistic to have their suspension, their disbelief suspended long enough to watch this film, has to do with one throwaway shot later in the movie when Tyler and the narrator are fighting in a parking garage. And in the shot of, of the narrator's worldview, you see Tyler pulling him by the scruff of his neck. But on a security camera feed, you He's see just, just floating him being in a weird floating, way. pulled away. Yeah. And the the argument against that is that he couldn't possibly do that. Obviously, the argument for that is that Edward fuck Norton, your mom, Edward Norton. That's what, is, that's what the argument is. Fuck Edward your mom. Norton shut up. did do that, so shut up. Mm-hmm. Um, was it Edward Norton or was he like on wires? Or well, something? Been, no, no, it was him. It was I don't know if it was actually Edward Norton or if it was the stunt guy, but it well, was a power of the actor. Feet. Really, oh. it was just the actor. Um, I don't think David Fincher would make Fight Club and then make that mistake. Shh, come on, <laughs> he's not gonna he's not gonna do some kind of trick. David Fincher's semen is made out of candy and brilliance. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I've had three mics. Um, I I've had four, and I'm not even at that stage yet. Um, candy and brilliant semen. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not ready. Although, anyway, anyway. What's funny here is that. Um, by the way, they're two separate cinematographers. This and Seven were two separate people. I just really? looked it up. Seven. Do we was know either of them? A cinematographer, uh, Darius Kanji, uh-uh. who I'm looking up his stuff right now. See if we got anything. Right I'll here is more photogrammetry stuff. Did bring him back for Panic Room. This is more photogrammetry stuff, which he, basically means they took pictures of all the surfaces in this kitchen and then basically textured objects with those things. They were going to shoot it for real, too, but they were like, that's just not going to happen. They lit – stick with me here. They lit the kitchen cinematically, right? They lit yep. it the way they'd want it lit. Well, except, then except took, they had to cheat for parts like that while you're right. under the fridge. And then they took pictures of it, lit, put those on 3D objects, move the camera around however you want – they didn't even have to light the 3D scene. I'm sure they did. I'm sure it's more there complicated were, than this, but in theory, it's as simple as if you take pictures of something, it's going to look photo real right. regardless because it's a photo. There are things they had to fake, like some of the chairs and stuff they had to recreate digitally. Yeah, but, sure. um, but for the most part, yeah, that, that, was, um, that and, was all photogrammetry stuff, is, which, which works here, but I thought actually worked less and felt a little more forced in his, um, uh, his uh, Fincher's later film, Panic Room. We'll get to Panic I agree with yeah. you. We'll get to Panic Room. What's funny here is editorially the apartment explodes right when Marla picks up the thing and says hello which which goes to further his theory that Marla this is all Marla's fault (laughs) (laughs) it's always the woman's fault right 
The uh, panic room. The problem with panic room. Let's let's go ahead and take a second here because we're going to have a moment where they're sitting in a bar talking here in a second. Let's go ahead and examine the difference between Zodiac and Panic Room in terms of execution of CG to further the storytelling. Zodiac is this okay, insane I'm... period piece of seventies filmmaking, just this throwbacky awesome movie. Not everyone loves it, but I loved Zodiac, and it's got these periods like these overhead shots, these cr- like retarded crane shots where you're looking down at the, car, the 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 car from like a mile up and zoomed way in so it seems tighter, but it's actually really. F- just this insanely deep shot. All these different effect sequences in Zodiac that you know have to be effects, and yet you don't care. Or at least I didn't care. It didn't pull me out of the story in a way that, in some cases, CG can, and in Panic Room, in fact, did. Oh, interesting. Um, I was just looking up the, the cinematographer some more, and not really even paying attention to you, because I'll listen to this later. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, the DP for this film was like a second unit camera op on Seven, so he was on oh. Seven, but he didn't. David shoot Fincher seven. has a thing for old camera op guys, I guess. I guess so. Because wasn't, wasn't he a, like a miniature camera operator or something he like that? W- actually, yeah, he was. He uh, he worked on like the motion control camera work for um, uh, Return of the Jedi, among yeah, other yeah, things, yeah. for oh. the uh, the speeder bike sequence. He w- he worked on that at ILM. The Steadicam so. one walk the, through the frame forest. a second sequence, mm-hmm. yeah. Now I think that Fincher is one of the guys that shoots with a like a, a two camera setup. He's basically shooting the reverse and the full at the exact same time. Hmm. Uh, and you can see now that through because the whole production? Beca- most of the time you wa- watch in any situation where there's hands in the edges of the frame, they move at the exact same rate. Mm-hmm. It's 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 clearly a sitcom setup lit by David Fincher. Bam. Right. Well, lit by well, his you know, guy who is right. apparently a camera operator on his previous movie, but um yeah, here He's actually stating explicitly kind of what this movie is is railing against, which is consumerism and yada yada yada. But it's not it's not as pretentious as that makes it sound. Uh, ultimately, it's, it's, you know, this is not. Well, while this is a deeply pretentious movie, it's mm-hmm. not pretentious on a level that you're prepared to get mad at. What's funny is that in terms of all the like the, all the the layers and layers and layers and layers, the onion of subversive. Theories and opinions that Tyler Durden represents. My favorite, and this is sort of a weird meta representation of Tyler Durden's opinion about the world, is that his in the last. Sequence, <laughs> so it's a version that you came up with, and he has nothing to do with. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Okay, go well, ahead. Yeah, it is, but it's it's an obs- <laughs> it's an observation, but it wasn't mine, so I can't even take credit mm-hmm. for it. But in the end sequence where he's got the gun in his mouth, we keep cutting back and forth. The uh-huh. sequence where Edward Norton is apparently tied to a chair. I wonder what happens. These two like each other right now, right? Right. At the end of the movie, where he's in there, and the whole the whole end scene. He's wearing a shirt that is scenes of pornography. Mm-hmm. His tank top is scenes of pornography. It's still frames of porn. And in the trailers, you can see every single bit of it. Hmm. Interesting. And your point Tyler is? Durden is that. I mean, one of the central little. I think the point is that Fig likes this movie. One, a of the lot. Char- right. one, one of the character quirks of Tyler Durden is that he slips porn into films and into the theater where anyone can see it, but they don't know ah. they've seen it. You watch the trailer in a movie theater, guess what you're seeing? Porn. All right, nice. But you don't realize you've seen it. Yeah, I'm going to sit cool. down and take a deep breath. Yeah. that's um, Well, that's what we're, we're talking about. This is a very layered movie, which, it, w- whereas it was dismissed as simply this misogynistic, well, not misogynistic, because there aren't even nihilistic. any women in it. Yeah, uh, but chauvinistic, nihilistic, et cetera, et cetera, whereas there's actually quite a it's, lot going on. There's a lot of thought that went into this and, and everything, like we said, ties back together. I think mm-hmm. if you put a movie like this and a movie like Requiem for a Dream next to each other and think in terms of the impact they have, 
I think both measure up to 100% holy shit impact. But the effort it takes to get there in terms of the execution of what they were trying to do, this is a much more difficult movie to right. nail the funny than thing, Requiem for a Dream I was. mean, the funny thing about Requiem is it's almost like it's almost like a really fucked up after school special. Because the yeah, message is. is the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drugs will ruin your life. That's what, the, that's what the message is. And yet, you don't look at it the same way, you know? <laughs> You, you don't you don't mock Requiem for a Dream the way you would mock <laughs> just after school uh, specials in general. Here we go with this whole, ah, the whole subplot about splicing in frames of porn. and that that was a hell of a cock right there that they just went bam and showed you. I think that's about average, isn't it? Brian, is that like yours? Because is like, that supposed uh, to be big? Really? Damn it! He took mine and stuck it. Yeah, fuck it. Anyway, in terms uh, of after school specials, anyway. yeah. the, uh, it's funny because David Fincher, pre- uh, one of his previous films, Seven, they showed that's that what, to that's me. That's what I'm talking about, class. by the way. Talking about. Just pointing to the, the, the cigarette, cigarette burn. burn and stuff. It's like, how could this ever not be a movie, you know? Which I I have always noticed the cigarette burns Me for too. a very long time. But I've talked to people who were like who had never noticed them before this movie. And I, I well I don't I think it's that they don't see them anymore. Them. I think it's that they haven't remembered them. Right. It's that they don't know that oh, that's not just a thing on the film. That's actually a thing for the film. That's meaningful. Uh, they, 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 yeah. they 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 erase it the same way they erase the scratches on a on a film print. You know. Oh, okay. Now, this is yeah, actually maybe. this is actually what they're doing here is they're representing the concept of putting a frame of pornography into another film mm-hmm. by representing that the the film itself changes picture and sound for one frame. Mm-hmm. In reality, that wouldn't be the case because yeah, the audio too... trails the film by yeah. about two feet, which is about several. It's, it's like a second and a half. Right. Two really? seconds. Um, yeah. So what would happen was that you'd see the frame of the penis, and then a second later you'd see you'd hear whatever the penis was uh-huh. saying. <laughs> well, that's that's the sound you hear. The sound you hear is uh huh, and then it goes away. But it's like even that sound is too much for one frame. Yeah. But it's it's it'd be like it, for the film it works, and I love the bit where it it's got just a little girl crying and she doesn't know why. <laughs> like that's that's all an awesome cut of it, and it's so. Like this is this is what they mean. This is the kind of movie they mean when they talk about a a black comedy because yes. this is a funny movie. This is yes. hysterical. It's really fucked up, but it's funny. Edward Norton came on the scene with Primal Fear, and I think it was 1996. That number could be wrong, but I think it was like mid mid late 90s. Primal Fear came out, and people want he he was going to be not. I think he was nominated, or he was going to be nominated. There was a situation where they didn't know he wasn't fucking nuts and retarded, mm-hmm. so they didn't give him the Oscar nomination for it. But if you go back and watch Primal Fear, knowing who Edward Norton turned out being, it's like Edward Norton, age 20, kicking fucking ass. Right, and 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 again, talking about um, Brad Pitt. Uh, going against expectations and stuff. He's not the guy who starts the fight. He's the one who says, "Punch me in the face as hard as you can." You yeah. know, and that is such a weird thing <laughs> for any character, but especially the pretty one who's like, "Mess up my face," <laughs> basically. Of course, that comes back later thematically when he says he wanted to destroy something beautiful. Right. Although, although we'll get to that because I think that that actually refers to you know it's got layers. That particular comment has some layers to it. Brian so. is being blown away by the level of information that we're spitting back and forth in front of his face. No, I'm just <laughs> finding it hard to get a word in edgewise over your enthusiasm. Okay, your turn. But that's a nice change of pace. He did Apollo yeah. 13. That's true. That's true. We all have we all have our movies where our enthusiasm... I love that he sh- he punches him and it's like he... <laughs> <laughs> No, don't worry. Don't worry. I'll just sit back for the next half hour. <laughs> oh, that was perfect. Go, 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 go. The revolutions, uh, Reloaded and Revolution, I think it was Reloaded, where he's fighting the guy and you see the camera dolly with him every time he punches him over the table and he goes right. to the table. That well, happens here, too, where he punches him and he falls over a few feet and the camera just moves right. with him. Well, it's interesting you should mention that because they actually, um, uh, they, they, they share a philosophy in, the, in that movie and in this scene. In that movie, they say you can never truly know someone until you, you fight, fight them. them. And in this one, Tyler says, how can you really know yourself until you've been in a fight? 
So so there's a, a little bit mind, more Michael. of an overlap. You're blowing my mind. Right there. I was I was thinking that when that line came up, but I was just going to let it go, but then you brought up Reloaded. So how <laughs> Sorry, I had to get all fucking... Watch this shot here on the far right of the screen. Like, far right of the screen, but it's still... It's like still style safe. Throws the bottle, never leaves the frame, lands on the ground. Our, our, our screen is cutting this off more than I've ever seen it, and even we could see it the entire time. It's right along the edge of the frame, that bottle throw. I wonder if that was intentional or if Fincher was like, we're going to sit here until next Tuesday, and you're going to throw that bottle, and we're going to watch the whole damn thing fly and crash, never leaving frame, within two inches of the side of the frame. Something That's, tells me well, that was unintentional, that he yeah. was like, just throw it and see what happens. I don't give a fuck. My money's going to be on that was a lucky shot. Yeah. They built this house for the movie, if I recall correctly. Right? I'm not even sure if that's a lucky shot. Like, what, is that, what does that mean <laughs> in terms of the movie? Like, well, why would you go out yeah, of your way? It's just kind of cool. It's just if, if you, you like that. Yeah. I, I think I, it refers to our, our, our compassion as humans and the nature of commercialism. Yeah. What does around. it mean to be well, human, Well, it goes man. back to a lot of the underlying thematic elements, both behind Jaws and the Matrix films, in which the East meets West philosophy. <laughs> Trying too hard. Oh, I don't know. I was a little, I was a little impressed by that for <laughs> about a fraction of a second. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, way to go! Way to bring that a typical Occidental versus Oriental argument going." I'm fucking, on, you know, I'm screen. fucking sitting here like, "Yeah, that was like the East side of the frame, man." And I'm like, <laughs> "I've just had mics. I haven't even smoked pot or anything." And I'm like, "Whoa!" But now this is interesting. You have to wonder what these guys were seeing now from from the perspective of the end of the movie, where we know there's only one guy. What were those guys looking at that they were like, hey, man, what's this guy doing? There's, what's this guy uh, doing beating the shit out of himself? This is actually one of those random... Do you have one of those things for any movie ever where you know all the glitches on the IMDb page and you see one that's not even listed? He mm-hmm. punches him on one side of the face and when he turns to look at his guy from Twister that gets impaled on the end of Twister, his boss, <laughs> it's the other eye that, gets, that has a bruise on it. I'm just, I'm just going to... He gets punched in the left eye, and that's his right I'm, eye. I'm just going to put it out there that they may have punched each other more times than the one we saw. Like, like it may be a juxtaposition of two... You know, that, that may be over time. Maybe that was intentional, just to show how long it had been, man. Well, David Fincher's a genius. There is a lot of time jumping, and yeah, yeah. That, that very well may have been a very subtle... Uh, clue that more time not that we would ever even pick up on it at this point right. but as foreshadowing for later on that more time is, is passing than we may necessarily see at first Yeah. speaking of those sort of weird you could think of it this way you could think of it that way sort of argument another one that takes place at his office in terms of his the juxtaposition of Fight Club with his working life mm-hmm. is that your blood? some of it yeah is he saying that's some of my blood, or is that your blood? Well, some of it's my blood, and some of it's someone exactly, else's blood. Exactly. It's like that's. I I actually think it's more fucked up. It's like, is that your blood? It's some of my blood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not all of it. I didn't put it all on my face, but that's some of my blood. Yeah. I like I like I like the other one actually. I like some of it. It's like wow, that's a, a multiplicity of people's <laughs> blood that we're dealing with here, and he's just kind of. But but you know that's that's freaking good writing right there. From what I understand. Uh, Brad Pitt crash on a take they didn't end up using and they asked him to keep re- re- replicating that crash uh-huh. and David Fincher wasn't as happy with the crash they got as the crash that Brad Pitt did on accident which is <laughs> apparently much funnier this almost f- the, the interesting thing is and when was Office Space? Office Space was after this right? I think. Um, oh around the same time oh by the way homoerotic undertones right here but um, it's okay because he's imaginary actually that's not okay that makes it a yeah, little bit worse in terms of homoerotic undertones but because um, he's imagining this really hot guy in his bathtub. That's that's got some questions that you got to raise. But, um, but it's he's inter- not taking a bath himself. 
Yeah, no, he's hmm. just he's just watching. He does that repeatedly throughout the movie where he doesn't wash his clothes in the sink. In fact, later on when Marla comes up and puts the cigarette right next to his crotch and it's this sort of weird picturesque, his dick is on fire picture that David Mitchell is giving you. He's washing his pants with a sponge and a sink. <laughs> he's like scrubbing blood out of his pants with a sponge as opposed to just washing them. I don't know what that means. I'm just saying. Well, no, you would scr- Well, you don't know what that means because you don't really do your own laundry very much. You just throw them in the machine. The, uh, uh, I mean, a stain you've got to scrub well, physically. You can't just throw it in the in the sink and kind of just let it soak. Are like, you saying that you fight people often? Is that what you're saying? You know more about blood on pants than me. You got a period, Michael. I got on. a period. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Moving the hell on. Uh, no, but um, I don't even remember what we were talking about before that. Blah, blah, blah. I, uh, we were talking about my period, and then we got a little distracted. Washing so. himself, and t- Brad Pitt was in the bathroom. Yeah, no, before that. We were hey, look, about color grading. We, yeah, yeah, woo! <laughs> no, no, this was before color grading. Man. Oh, what? This is, this is all in camera, and, and chemical, and yada yada. We were saying something interesting, but now yeah. I forgot. Oh, well. Sorry, everyone. Wow, that killed our momentum. So, so anyway, Ooh. Fight Club. Um, say something interesting. To, oh, no, I remember what I wanted to say, which was basically that his, because um, I brought up office space, it's like the element of his life that takes place at the office is basically office space. Like all the yes. things they talk don't about. Don't they like mention the, TPS reports? The TPS reports or yeah. whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know if they do, but it's like uh-huh. this is the same world. This yes. is the exact same world that office space takes place in, but it's going in two completely different directions in terms of how the. Um, I mean, I guess it's not. I mean, both of them are a little bit anarchistic, but I guess Ron Livingston, if had he gone insane, yeah, exactly. was schizophrenic. This might be what would have he, happened. He Here might have beat the shit amazing in one or watch this. We started in the parking lot. We're going to go all the way down to the stairway after circling the club. It's really cool. Is this the first time we see Fight Club? That that Mike, it happens. Are, yes, it is. The, what, do uh, we, what do we say? Don't talk about Fight Club. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I know. We're violating that uh, particular see, we, tenet. We, we, we Tyler, Tyler Durden's going to come after Twice us. Twice he's going to come after us and kick our ass. He's going to appear and destroy us. That's <laughs> what Tyler Durden is going to we, do. We see it repeatedly, and this is one of the first great examples, but in a second we're going to see even a better one, where Fincher has no problem filling the frame with black. Mm-hmm. Like, here's one little speck of light, and you're going to enjoy this shot regardless. Right, exactly. Suck my dick, Hollywood. Those are some. Those are some. Mutton Think about chops this compared guy, to Spider Man, which wouldn't let a shadow exist. Oh man, watch this. When 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 you get into the garage, before he turns off the light, he says, "Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club." And then the light turns on. Before the light turns on, look at how dark it is. Like right, right. now. Like right now. Look at yeah. this. You can't even see what's going on. And it's not that that's a bad thing. That's have you ever been into one of those situations? It's darker than this. Well, and and also there's an element of you know you you got to be willing to to to. Think about the environment that it's going to be seen in. I mean, right now we're recording this in the middle of the afternoon. We got a big uh, sliding glass door on the side. We're seeing all these reflections, but you know, the idea is it's going to be seen in a theater that's darker than the screen. So right. you know, you're going to you're you're fixating on whatever there is that that you can fixate on. And of course, if it goes black and you just hear voiceover, I mean, we've already established there's a narrator, so you could get away with that a little bit. I don't have numbers on this, but I surmise that between this and Jules going apeshit in, in Pulp Fiction, we have the two most typographically motion graphicized videos on YouTube, where they use text to to illustrate something graphically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rules of Fight Club I've seen many people do, and it's it's sort of a thing that became its own little scrumptious delight of subculture, where you mm-hmm. have shirts that have the eight rules of Fight Club on them, or you have references to the eight rules of Fight Club. Uh, which I think are pretty good, simple rules. Mm-hmm. 
I think it would be funny to see George Carlin try to compartmentalize <laughs> them like he did with the Ten Commandments, but that's a whole other thing. Now this is this is the kind of thing I've uh, having I've I've actually only gone to one UFC event and it's totally different than watching it on TV by the way because it? it's it's not that interesting watching guys kind of punch each other lightly around each other and and rub each other's balls in each other's yeah. faces when it's not porn um, on video <laughs> but in person well in person you're sitting there and you're like I like you're like, all right, if there's anyone out there who doesn't believe in evolution, take them to a UFC event because you can see how close to monkeys we are because someone will punch another and everyone will just be like, ah, ah, and like <laughs> waving their arms in the air and standing up and jumping around and it's like, wow, we are fucking monkeys and we're watching each other beat the shit out of each other and that's all there is. But, uh, I mean, that's what we're looking oh, at um, Here's in, my in that life. scene there. Which one? William Shatner? Yeah. This is downtown Santa Monica from what I understand. Just, take, just looking at it. I'd fight Geographically, it looks like Santa Monica. We'll get back to that later. We're going to keep just pushing off this point, but Fight Club uh, uses Fox's resources right. extensively. Now, now, this is this is an, an interesting little moment that we're we're coming up on right here. But we just him, passed that interesting one too, right? Right. But him looking at the the uh, underwear ads and stuff like that—is that what a real man looks like? Self improvement is masturbation. I'm like. Brad Pitt's in better shape than that guy in the underwear ads in this movie. So, like, there's this, there's this weird disconnect or irony or, or hypocrisy, I guess, whatever you want to call it, between the, the character of Tyler Durden and what he represents, almost. You but know? Tyler Durden is that cut because of the Fight Club. I have a poster. That's true. He's this... He's but this at, paragon but at the of same, masculinity. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I mean, ultimately, he's 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 almost the same as as the underwear model, which is why. Uh, or, but or, I, th- I think he's point- got like two percent body fat. Look at this. Mm-hmm. But I think the Man, point yeah, is that's that amazing. That, Jesus, oh, wow. Christ. That's that's better than. I mean, a lot of people made a big deal out of the shape he got into for Troy to play Achilles. But I'm that's like, way- he was in better shape for Fight Club. Like he's just cut. But anyway, I think the point is that the underwear model is not in shape for any purpose reason. for any reason. Okay. Whereas. Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden is in shape to fulfill that biological imperative of being I, a man I, and being able to fight. I guess there's that, but kind of the purpose I took is that is that Tyler Durden, as we as we come on to later, Tyler Durden is just another kind of ideal, and he's an ideal that that um, Jack or Joe or whatever you want to call him, the narrator, has to kind of jettison and just accept the fact that a perfect man is imaginary essentially, mm. and you can only be the perfect. You, whoever right. you are, you know, and that—that's—that's that's one of the main messages that I personally take from the movie. Whether the whether your ideal is anar- an anarchist ideal or the ideal is the commercial ideal, right? Because the the underwear model is the commercial ideal, right. and then Tyler Durden is the anarchist right. ideal. But either way, they're still ideals and therefore still imaginary. Yeah, they're not. They're not you. There, right. There's only there's only you, and you can only be the best you that you are. You can't be the best. You can't be Tyler Durden unless right. you are Tyler Durden. Right. And nobody's Tyler Durden. He's imaginary. <laughs> That's the point. You know. Lincoln, you know, you know who, you know who I would be interested in fighting from the past. Andrew Jackson, because that fucker was that crazy. Guy was, that guy you. would just beat you with his cane. He would. Was, was he it would. Andrew Jackson? No canes. Was, was no it canes. Andrew Jackson <laughs> that had like an assassination attempt against him, and then he went off and fucked yes, that guy. The up. guy, the guy, the the guy, guy, guy missed and tried to escape. Jackson chased him down and beat him half to death with his cane. This was in the early days of DC when there were no no real secret service. So the guy was able to just walk up the White House steps as Jackson was coming out doing his thing. He had two pistols in the days where you only got one shot with the pistol. But he had two, just in case something happened with the one. Mm-hmm. He was ready. So idiot. he fired the one. Didn't didn't work. He's like, oh, fuck. But I brought a second one. 
fires a second one, doesn't work, <laughs> and Jackson proceeds to beat the shit out of him with his Jackson, cane. And Jackson was big on dueling. Like, Jackson's yeah. whole thing was like, it, you know, none of, this, none of this bipartisan stuff. He's like, you got a problem with me? Let's take it outside. <laughs> Let's let's lead to it's leading to the guns Andrew right here. Andrew Jackson, early Fight Club member. Exactly. No, Andrew Jackson would totally have been in Fight Club, <laughs> now, and he would cool have killed some people. What's cool about this sequence people. is that Marla Singer always enters a setup by turning into it. She never, hmm. you never, you never land on her in a sequence where she's in a new pose. Mm-hmm. You always look at her in the old pose, changing into oh, the new pose no, over the course of a right. minute. Well, you're right in, in that this cool? two minute. It just has something to do with, Bracket, with, with the, the way they represent both her in this sequence well, and there the that narrator shot. chick at the main, this is Chloe, say hi Chloe, hi Chloe sequence, where the lady that's the runner of that self-help group, both portrayed as they're these just insanely groggy and druggy. And this is echoey. a crazy little VFX sequence too, by What's the way. cool is that the uh, girl that's the model for Helena Bonham Carter is a different woman than Helena Car- Bonham Carter. Her <laughs> face oh. is on there. <laughs> it's funny because you see, you hear the commentary and Helena's like, I wish those were my tits. <laughs> I think that's adorable. Anyway. That's, I, I, I love the I fact that cool Fincher was like, I'm not doing a sex scene. And then like, you have to do a sex scene because that's the story. And he's like, well, what's you're funny right, I do. Is that if you think about now it, it's going to be weird. Psychologically, People's That's recollection of, of the sex they've had in their lives often boils down to <laughs> like a like a, a, a an instant. It doesn't it doesn't have to do with the the way that things panned out. It has to do with this happened. Oh, uh-huh. later that happened, which is sort of a cool way. I mean, you never see ever. I haven't seen a movie before or since that represents a sex scene as basically a series of statuesque poses. Right. But it has to do a lot with graphic novels and the way they portray that things can be broken down into a simple pose mm. to illustrate an entire series of events. This movie is really interesting to me. This is also the first example we have of him interacting with her in a situation where he is butt-fuck crazy. Right. Where, so, she, so where she, she is confused. She yeah. has no idea what's going on because she's talking to the guy that she slept with last night. Right. He's talking to the girl that slept with his friend but, last night. But because, but because we don't know that, right now we think she's butt-fuck crazy. Now, I, I know <laughs> but some given people, her reactions I to I know him. some people. First of all, did either of you guys know what was going to happen? Oh, wait, happen? wait. Which is, uh, what's the line that she's about to say? There are two versions of what she's about to well, say. Well, she was going to say that I haven't, uh, I want you to have my abortion is what's in the book. And then right. later in the movie, they were like, you can't say that. So the guy that, right. so Chuck was like, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. Right, and right. David Fincher did one of these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, well, well, he did that, and they're like, Oh, go back, go back, back to, to the abortion. Go back thing, to the abortion yes. thing, but oh. they kept the the grade school. They kept thing, the grade school recall, thing. Which yeah. I think it's a funnier line. Yeah, it's a way better line. Did either yeah. of you guys see the twist yeah. coming when you saw the movie the first time? No. no. Had you been spoiled? No. So no. you didn't see it coming. No. I know a lot of people that say I knew it was happening the first time we saw Helena Bottom Carter. Yeah, but those are the same assholes who say they saw the Sixth Sense coming. Yeah. I think the Sixth Sense is more obvious than this is. Sixth Sense is more obvious than this, right? And but I, and I, but didn't I, I still think either. I didn't see it, and I still th- I think most but, people. But didn't I think see it. the the thing about this one, and it's a, a a little surprising almost that it gets away with it. To be honest, the the thing about this, the Sixth Sense, I can I can credit because it is the kind of thing that's dropping clues. Mm-hmm. This movie is not dropping clues that way, really. I mean, you can go back and watch it, and it'll give you a different perspective on what's going on, but it's not really dropping clues. The as one to what's going the on. one continuity issue that I have with the entire reality of what's happening and the portrayal that differs from the reality in a way that's interesting and creative to watch is that over the course of the film the uh, character of Marla Singer has to deal with the fact that there's a dissonance between what she sees and what's apparently going on behind the scenes and the only time they break from that is right there when she says did I call you to Brad Pitt who is actually Edward Norton because she knows that she called Edward Norton and the only explanation for why she would say did I call you is if she just straight up forgot that she had spoken to him on the phone a minute before uh 
that she was still in the process of talking to him on the phone. For for the purpose of a first-time viewer, you have to have her say, but you're not Edward Norton. But, of course, for the second-time viewer, you have to go, why would she say that? Because she knows that's Because just one moment before, she was still talking to him on the phone. Because that is Edward Norton. In any case, she sees Edward Norton and says, did I call you? Why? The only explanation that can work in the reality that is both present in the movie and the fictional reality that is present in the filmmaking has to do with the fact that she had to have forgotten that she was just talking to Edward Norton. Brian, talk about soap. What the hell do I know about soap? I use That's it. a good question. I use it oh. sometimes. I don't know. Um, yeah, well, because in that, in that setup, she's still like laying on the, on, on the back just talking. But at that point, she's basically monologuing to herself and who knows how we don't know how long she has been monologuing to herself yeah she, so she could literally be talking to herself right. having forgotten anyway. it works it works well enough god this movie is pretty and cool and awesome and, in, and intelligent and in, i don't know i want to know what the the hater version of <laughs> fight club is wow. no that movie sucks because of this i wonder what they would say have you heard any arguments against fight club oh hater I thought you. I thought you said hater, like Bill Hader, Napoleon Dynamite. I'm like, oh. what's the Napoleon Dynamite version of Fight <laughs> Bill Club? Bill Hader like, wasn't in Napoleon Dynamite. John Heater was in Napoleon. John Heater, sorry, Bill Hader. Who the fuck is that? Bill Hader is the guy from Superbad that was the cop. He was. He's in. Uh, oh, okay, okay. Adventureland. He's on SNL. All right. At least I didn't make him up. <laughs> that would have been. Have okay. You, yes, I meant John Heater. Have you anyway. heard the? Yeah. <laughs> have you heard any hater responses to Fight Club? Have you heard arguments levied against it by people that are cooler than you? I don't think I've ever personally met anyone who didn't like Fight Club, having seen it. I, I know people who had the same thing as me. They, they rejected seeing it because of what they assumed it was. Right. But, but nobody that's seen it that has a problem with it. But. Well, my, the, my, my college roommate, the same one I was talking about earlier. Oh, but was, fuck him. Well, yeah, but fuck him. But uh, it was, it was Not a matter but of, fuck him. But, but comma, fuck but, him. But comma, yeah. fuck him. <laughs> Uh, it was more a matter because he was into it. He was, you know, after Fight Club came out, people made their own Fight Clubs, and he was in a Fight Club because it was so deep. And then it's oh like, oh my god! And then as you mature, you realize it's not actually that deep in the sense. And that's you're missing the point. By yeah, the way, you're, if you're, you're doing it. <laughs> and he, as as he explained to me, he eventually came to that understanding. But I, it I've was, never been in a fight. Have it was been still a, fight? a quality. I got my ass kicked a couple times. I don't know if that. Michael, have you been in a fight? But uh, a good, times, have you yeah. had to defend your beliefs? Well, there's not with I've been in verbal exactly not with fisticuffs <laughs> like the the friggin you know Notre Dame leprechaun or whatever. But um, yeah, I've punched a few people in the head, but <laughs> uh, it's not the kind of thing like like. Have you been punched in the head? Uh, I've been kicked in the head. What? I haven't been punched in the head, but I've been kicked in the head. Is it one of those things where it's over so fast that you're like, this is gonna hurt later? But right now, I'm so pumped up that I don't notice it. it kind of. Well, it's just like boom. Wow. All right. That. Just happened. gets your attention, I'm assuming. <laughs> exactly. I'm assuming the immediate effect of it is that it's just, whoa, okay, what? And it makes you, uh, well, depending on, on where it is and how, if, if you get hit in the right place, it can knock you out. If, if you get hit in a different place, it can make you dizzy, and in another place, it's just like, wow, that just happened. And yeah. it, what and what it, are those places? Huh? Uh, behind, like behind the jaw, if you get, if you get punched back there. Oh, uh, we just missed the, the sum of it. What? Line. Who? Is that your blood? Oh, the some blood, of it. some of it. 
Behind the neck. So, like, if you punch someone in the neck, they'll In the go jaw. Out. Basically in the jaw right here. Like, under the ear. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right right where the corner of the jaw is. If you if you hit someone there, it basically... I'm not sure... That, I've heard different explanations it seems like that, for It doesn't that seem that is, like that would but, knock them out. And it does seem like that would just snap their jaw in half. Mm-hmm. Well, you can break their jaw that way, too. But if not not on their jaw. Like, the soft part right behind the jaw. If, I've heard different different reasons for why that is. The most plausible to me is just... You're cutting off the blood flow for a moment, and it just kind of makes them black out. And if you hit them hard enough, they just won't go down. But what about um, makes you dizzy? Huh? What? What? Where do you hit to make someone dizzy? Uh, well, if you hit them hard enough, just about anywhere. <laughs> <in the head. laughs> also, the uh, the temple. I wonder the, if, you, the if temple, you hit somebody you in the ear out. hard enough. If that screws that up, that hurts your... like fuck. I well, tell it you does hurt. Like it bleeds it... and B, it breaks your eardrum. Well, if it screws up your vestibular system, which is what gives you vertigo and you fall your over orientation, mm-hmm. that that could do it definitely. I don't know, but it's it is amazing to see someone who just gets like pow in the head and, and just goes just... boom, they're out. <laughs> they just go down, and it's like I can't believe that just happened. It's like there's a button that that just yeah. turns them off, and they they just go straight to the floor. In the background no. of this scene, there's a monkey on his bulletin board, and it's one of those. IMDb happy things to say that that's a space monkey and David Fincher's a genius and I and mm. I don't subscribe to that theory. Is that a monkey? It just looks like a skull. A skull, yeah. I think it's a monkey skull, sir. Oh well, well. Well, think about <laughs> what a skull would look like next to that. It's got a giant. It's got this big maw. It is shaped differently. I think it's mm-hmm. a monkey or it's okay. a black guy. <laughs> <laughs> that took me a second. Oh. That actually took me a second because I was busy watching Brad Pitt walk around in a bathrobe, but. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, I, that, that eventually got through. I just wow. wanted to crack up Michael, and then he didn't crack up, and I just sat there feeling horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, say, I say it's a joke, son. Wow. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> wow. The conversation here is sort of interesting, because suddenly he... I don't understand the nature of, of this entire angle of the movie, and I'm sure that it works in a way that I just haven't thought about recently. I haven't seen this movie in like a year or so. Uh, but... It's not true. We're watching it a couple months ago. Not even. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't, uh, in any case, I don't remember okay. knowing the answer to this question, so it's been a little while since I've thought about it. Okay. But the representation of the cop as someone's apartment just blew up, and the representation of, of, of narrator as old school, commercialized narrator, being that apartment was my life, versus new new school era narrator where he's like, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. I'd like to thank the Academy for that brilliant bullshit performance I just gave that guy. Uh-huh. I don't understand why he would be a suspect because he had every alibi in the world. He was out of town. Mm-hmm. On a, They have tickets and everything to say that this guy wasn't is it, there. Well, is it, it clear that he's a suspect or just that it was not accidental? Interest. Well, he, well says, he says, I'm not a suspect. And the guy says, I uh, don't leave town. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't say he's a suspect. I'm sure he's probably legally bound to say yes, you're a suspect. Well, the police have no. person of persons no, of interest actually. that don't qualify as suspects, but they're still. I mean, I mean, at if you. it's if it's you know on who a... persons of interest, women. You know who the person of interest is? Me. Anyway, the, uh, but I mean, the, the he was out of town. But as movies have taught us, it's not like you can't put a bomb on a timer. And obviously, know? he still had to be capable of doing it some way, since he, in fact. Did it right, and so, and uh, the, the the, I mean the fact be- is he's trying to the the problem is he's trying to call in an insurance claim, and when an insurance claim comes across that this was an intentional thing, it's like well we have to suspect that maybe you just exploded everything to get the money from it, right? You know, awesome blocking here. Mm-hmm. David Fincher does that same shit that Steven Spielberg does, where you change the 
blocking of a scene by moving the camera and the characters, as mm-hmm. opposed to changing the cut and just moving elsewhere. You literally just change the way the shot looks by moving the camera and the people around yep. the side of it. A lot of dolly trash. She's it. singing a thing here, and I can't remember what it's from. Uh, shit, I forget what... I think it's from a musical. Well, she's singing a song, so that's a, a worthwhile guess. Anyway, and I think there's another pan here after this. Am I right or am I Lots wrong? of whip pans in here. I yeah, gotta, well, there's a lot I of whip pans throughout the entire it. film. Yeah, here it is. Kind of rotates into frame. Yeah. You kids. Anyway. Yeah. Man, this movie freaking rules. This is a really great movie. Prior to this, do you guys remember what your opinion was of the movie after you first saw it? Were you blown away or were you like, huh? I think I, I was re- I think I was pretty blown away because again, I expected this just, you expected 300. Yeah, yeah. Although I liked 300, but um I uh yeah, I expected it to be this kind of mindless thing and it had like we're talking about, it had so many like layers and stuff to it. I was like, "Wow, that's actually a thoughtful movie and that's not what i saw coming at all you know brian uh i don't remember um i guess i would say that liking it and and seeing that was there was something there the first time but not you know but uh not being able to start peeling away the layers to like the second or third and really seeing that there were multiple layers oh i thought you were going in a direction of there's a difference between liking it and seeing there's a lot there because going back to Requiem for a Dream, like mm. people are like, what'd you think of that movie? I'm like, well, I can't really say I liked it because it was actually a really unpleasant thing to watch. Well, but it's yeah. damn good. The, yeah, there's you know? a difference between enjoying sitting through oh. something. Something. Oh, yeah. Anyway, and still oh, considering Jesus, it. Jesus, that's terrifying. And still I, I like how he's trying to catch it. He's like, no, no. <laughs> and still recognizing a good piece of work right. when when you see it. Like, like me, it's supposed to it's supposed to unsettle you. Yes, certain movies yeah. like that. Well, it yeah. accomplishes. It's um. There's some Ebert quote that about uh, Alien or Alien. Right. He's like, I I didn't enjoy watching this movie at all, but it's a fine work right. of filmmaking. It's a great. Movie. I, I don't know how to yeah. describe this. This movie made me feel bad. Is yeah. what Roger uh-huh. Ebert said about Aliens. What's interesting is that oh, here's the sequence where he's talking about how you make uh, napalm, mm. and it's it's the, or nitroglycerin. The in ingredients this case. are, I think, incorrect. Oh, yeah, intentionally. Intentionally. Yeah, so. Because people would make it. Yeah. What's funny is that glycerin, not nitroglycerin, but glycerin is actually one of the prime ingredients in making uh, bubble soap. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a prime ingredient in soap. I mean, that's the point. Yeah. That's what, that's what he's talking about. You can turn soap into nitroglycerin with just adding a couple extra ingredients. Now, here's, here's another this big deal. This is a deal. setup for an incredibly important sequence. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because this... Again, we're, we're okay, here. We go. We're doing it's it. It's a little pretentious. It's a little. It's a little filmmaking preachy, in your face. But yeah. but it's important. He gets his hand wet with his lips. He licks his lips and gets his hand wet so that some of this lye will stick to his skin. And he pours the lye on his skin and uh-huh. it just sits there eating through his hand like alien burning movie. him. I mean, it's yeah. burning the fuck out of his hand. And here we go into the most uh, indulgent editing sequence of the film. Right. Uh, this is the Tarantino but portion but, but of, this the, does, right. of the But this does not film. exceed what I'm a lot... What, basically, over the course of... If you think of a film as a filmmaker's lifeline, lifetime, if you spend enough time building up credit with the audience that you can expend your credit with the audience over mm-hmm. the course of a sequence, Fincher has earned this. In terms of my expectations, this isn't beyond what I'm going to let him do to entertain me. I'll let him. Right, oh, right. Fucking, well, well I mean, the, shots of the dictionary. The whole, but the whole, I mean, the whole thing here is, you know, the whole argument, life is pain. If you want to live, deal with it. You know, accept the pain, br- make the pain part of yourself, and, and that's how you live. 
you know, as opposed to just existing. And this is this is where the discipline and the rest of the movie and the rest of the storytelling comes into play because that being the rest of the, the the story in the film being as tight as it is is what gives you the credibility to have this sequence and it it's still indulgent but you're still willing to go with it because okay he's he is demonstrating restraint and discipline in the rest of the film so right. I'll give I'll give him this we'll give him we'll it's, give him this one over the top sequence right where he gets to just where he gets to just like well he's literally slapping the narrator in the face and he's slapping yeah. you in the face going this is this the is, theme this is what the movie is pay the fuck attention and he even tells the guy pay attention don't avoid this don't try to ignore this right be here and pay attention to what's happening and, and, and a lesser filmmaker that would hurt and a lesser oh. filmmaker would want to just do this sequence and not spend as much time and discipline on the rest of it right and then then, then you sit through this a lesser version of the sequence and go this. The filmmaker is slapping his dick in my face. Right, right. Can you imagine? Like, think about how much a burn hurts. Right. And then let it just sit there on your hand mm-hmm. and let it be worse than a burn. God, that's bad. Mm-hmm. There's this cool little sequence here where they, I, I, if I recall correctly, I don't know where. Oh, cool. Yeah. The, uh, where she's, <laughs> and here the, we are. The line about selling the fat women their own asses back to uh-huh. them. I love it. Rich women. Rich, rich women their own fat asses yeah. back to them. This movie explores – you know how some things can have an identity unto themselves by a bunch of abstractions linking together so cohesively that they're no longer abstractions. It's all seem, it, all seems, it all seems natively inherent to each of the concepts that they would mm-hmm. connect to the other concepts. If you start with various things that have no relation in someone's brain and you leave the person that was experiencing whatever it is you were doing, in this case a film, with the impression that they were always connected, you have done an insane work of identity where you've put together an entity where nothing about it seems – you know. Well, it's just it's, 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 it's taking two different concepts and putting them next to each right. other. Right. What's like, the what's the what's the name of that thing? That experiment where it was oh, a Kuleshov, guy. the Kuleshov, huh? the Kuleshov effect. Yeah. Where this uh, it was one of the early pioneer Russian filmmakers who uh, filmed a guy with just a blank neutral expression on his face, and then had different uh, film snippets of like a, a bowl of fruit, of uh, other various of things. a woman, of, of a, a woman, cat, blah, of blah, blah 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 blah, and then he spliced them together, and people looked at. They they complimented this guy's acting on how nuanced it and how you know how you could see yeah. how hungry he was when he was yeah. looking at the fruit. When the when the truth of it was, this guy was never actually looking at the fruit and he was not thinking, "I am hungry." It, it was just this. It was the the juxtaposition and the context right. created the emotion in the audience. As What's opposed the name to of that effect, Kuleshov. Kuleshov. Mm-hmm. The Kuleshov effect. But um, so so juxtaposition is a big deal, and and yeah, it's it's almost but like still, you, you can make you... a film that's a Rorschach test. You just throw concepts together, and you're like, bam. What do you think? Right. And, but but, but the case... problem is, a lot of times that's you watch it, and you're like, I don't really think anything because I don't know what to make of this. Because, because yeah, because a lot of times the actual filmmaker doesn't have an opinion as to how those concepts relate. They're just yeah, putting right. them together and kind think, of faking it. I don't think mm-hmm. that works on the level that I'm talking about. I feel I, like... Well, Fight Club is this, not, not an example of that, but lesser, the, lesser works are. Well, for By me, the way, for Marla, me, Marla just called him and he, he made a point about she didn't call Tyler, except in her mind she did. <laughs> for, for me, uh, Fight Club is an example of perfect artwork. And, uh-huh. and, and this may be a, a limitation of my definition of perfect artwork, but I do define something that is perfect as a work of art as being so cohesive of having an identity of its own where it can take all these abstractions and put them together and you end up with this thing that is a, a brand new experience that couldn't have been that wouldn't that took an artist to, to say guys there's a connection here i don't know if you've noticed it but legos here uh-huh 
Uh, and there's a lot of things that I would find to be perfect examples of, 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 a, of a, an, a craftsman engaging right. in what his work is. This like, is the, the album The Fragile by Nine Inch Nails is an example of the same thing that Fight Club is an example of, where someone took completely stray pieces of artistic interest, put them together, and gave you an item that has a complete identity to its own. Well, right, and it's got a lot of replay value. I mean, what we're talking about right here and what I was saying, he was talking about Marla called him because she felt a lump in her breast and she wanted him to check it. He's like, oh, he, she didn't call Tyler because I'm neutral and blah, 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 but you watch it again and it's like, like I just said, in her mind, she did call Tyler. Like you, you. She called him. You watch it. You watch it the first time, and you're like, "Oh, she's just she's just using this character and blah blah blah." But you watch it the second time, and you're like, "You think she thinks he's Tyler, and she loves him, and she trusts him, and that's why she keeps tr- coming back, coming to back him. to him." Yeah. Exactly. This is a sad fucking movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. it can be from a certain perspective, definitely. There, I've heard uh, theories. This is interesting to me. Now, this that, is interesting, though, because he's he goes and tells him about Fight Club, but he is apparently he already not, knows. He already we're, we're he entering, knows, we're entering into phase Tyler two yet. of this movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's not. He's apparently not met Tyler. Like Fight Club has already taken on a life of its own beyond Tyler, even. Yeah. Right. Totally. Because because everyone who sees him from this point on thinks of him as Mister Durden. Right. I've heard an interesting theory about this that basically posits. Fight Club is the adult story of Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> Where Hobbes wow, is Tyler Durden, okay. and Calvin okay. is the narrator. Uh-huh. With me? I'm, 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 go, I'm, I'm willing to go with you. I'm guess, not with you yet, but I'm willing to go with you. Let's hear this. Well, that's the extent of the theory. Is just <laughs> they, they basically took Calvin and Hobbes scripts and found like-minded sequences of Fight Club and said, you know, there's, there's kind of similarities here, where you have this one imaginary character that sort of... I guess the, the, the main difference, aside from tone between Fight Club and Calvin and Hobbes is that Hobbes, even when he's not being imagined, you know, he's not being anthropomorphized, he's still a thing. Whereas right. Tyler is an entirely a machination of his imagination, but it's the same thing where it's the the counseling, big brotherly character that you imagine the to have. The expression of he, what you really want to do. no one else understands right. you. It's In terms of, when you boil something down to its, its sentence-wide explanation of what's going on in, in a storytelling sense... Fight Club and Calvin and Hobbes are the same thing. Well, I mean, you can boil almost anything down to the same thing if you want to boil it down to Yeah, a I sentence. actually had a buddy who thought Luke Skywalker and Superman represented the same character. They do from the, the, from the Campbellian perspective, you know? No, the opposite of that. They're, they, they do because they're both aliens from another planet that grew up on a farm. <laughs> Dork man. But, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, there but, are but other one, some, one there is are, God and one is the absolute underdog. Well, one no. is God and one is Jesus. I mean, if you really Basically. think about it, yeah, you know. there there are similarities, there are thematic similarities beyond the farm boy, but there are also differences. But that's that's the whole point of juxtapositioning as a concept: is you put right. two things together, you will see how they are different because they'll be different in some ways, and you'll see how they're similar because they'll be similar in some ways. Uh, and and now now we're entering phase two of the right. movie when he starts giving them. Homework. There's an agenda to the whole yeah. situation. Yeah. But again, but this is where we're first really introduced to Fight Club as a culture. Right. Obviously, they start the Fight Club earlier. Anti culture. Start with well, exactly. Fight Club, and they end up with Fight Club. Yeah. Well, they end up with Project Mayhem, is what they. Project end up Mayhem with. is where it goes into like phase three of the movie. Yeah. And that doesn't actually follow the acts or reels or anything. It's just in terms of the execution of all the concepts that work here. This is where we start to deviate from. A movie goes from A to B to C, and it ends up at Z. Fight Club goes from A to B to C to D to negative Q. <laughs> And then it goes back to Z from there. There's Jared Leto. There he is. Good looking angel face is his name in the script. Good looking angel face or just angel face? Angel face. Yeah. 
I never got the uh, the uh, look of dyeing your eyebrows to match your hair. Obviously, mm. I have red hair and normal colored eyebrows, blonde eyebrows, and I think it looks fine. But people that dyed their hair one color and then dye their eyebrows to match always look like leprechauns to me, mm. regardless of the hair leprechauns. color. Leprechauns. That's okay. oddly specific. I'm fucking Lou. Who the hell are you? I love this. Fucking Lou. Or really? You're fucking Lou? Well, tell Lou I said hi. Yeah. It's also... I love I love this bit because um, he's like... Well, I, I I know a guy named Lou, and so someone someone said uh, like he's got a line that's like "Hey, stupid fuck" or whatever, and someone attributed it to Lou, and someone thought that was our, the guy I know, Lou, <laughs> who would never say anything like that. But now we attribute that kind of talk to him <laughs> just because it's funny. Sidebar. I also, I also think it's ironic. Earlier he was saying, you know, we don't have a Great Depression, we don't have a World War II, and this is made in '99, obviously, and then right. two years out from. Pretty large events, right. in the history of our civilization now, right? And uh, but and it, it's seven indic- years out from and seven years out now, now, now. But it's eight, indicative of this feeling from the '90s, where in the '80s, okay, in the '60s, everybody was fighting for justice, and then '70s, but everybody you got kind of down to tired. '60s hippies, '70s people kind of get tired, just had, wanted to party. '80s. American Psycho, '90s Fight Club, and Nirvana. Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, I mean, I definitely think of this as very much in the same vein as American Psycho, which I think is another black comedy that's extremely powerful. Funny. But why is it always um, got to be black with you? Right, but um, but it's very much the kind of thing like you're talking about. It's like in the '90s, it's almost like people were looking for something for to something rebel deeper. against, yeah, and well, something to to give their lives meaning. In the '80s, nobody cared. It was just about your personal self-interest right, and the greed. Decade. And then in, ni- in the '90s, it was. But as, as American outgrowth. Psycho shows, you know, that's even that was like driving people crazy. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. But then in the '90s, it's it's still some of that. But people are kind of growing tired of that to an extent. Where it's like, there's got to be something else. But it's the '90s, and everything's pretty much okay. Yeah. So what are we doing? And that's the problem. That they, 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 I mean, that's but what Fight Club you'll, is you'll never about. Need, um, you'll never meet a more severe identity crisis than the atheist who needs something to believe in. Right. That was. <laughs> that was. I mean, that's what Fight Club is about. It's like, what are we doing? It's like, fucking nothing. Yeah. Like, when you think about it, you know. Wait. Our great spiritual conflict is that we don't have a great spiritual conflict. Right. We don't have anything going on, and that's. I mean, that's almost. I mean, again, that's what Fight Club is talking about. It's like we almost, as as. You know, from the the natural selection perspective or whatever, it's like we need something to prevail against, yeah. <laughs> almost, or else we start to we kind need of the lose struggle. our we, Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, isn't that the great <laughs> the great paradox of human existence? Is like our whole existence is defined by this great struggle that we have to overcome. But then, what happens when once we actually win? Right, right. And like then, what's left? Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, and, that's the whole and thing. The interesting juxtaposition is what happens when we lose. Firefly, right. And the the whole thing is Malcolm Reynolds. The um, you know, from the the religion aspect, it's like people talk about heaven and stuff like that. But if you really think about it, if heaven does exist, it's got to be a boring fucking place. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, why would you want to go there? That would be boring that, as, that's as like, hell. It's like Dante's Divine Trilogy, where it's like he made he wrote Dante's Inferno, but then he also had the Purgatorio and the Paradiso. Mm-hmm. But the only one we still read is the Inferno right. because it's the most Purgatory and one. Paradise are boring. Yeah, exactly. It's like everything's fine. What do we talk about? Yeah, like, what uh, do we do? What do we do with our lives? I think it was Bill Hicks who had a bit about, uh, I want to go to hell because hell's where the rock stars are going to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's one of those quotes where it's like, you know, I've, oh, I love this bit. I'd rather go to hell because that's where all the interesting people are. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love this bit here where, um, <laughs> speaking of 
blaspheming against religion, but I love the bit where he, uh, the priest is the one who gets the most upset yeah. about being wetted down. Yeah, right here. Here he is. This is awesome. You can actually see the camera shake because the union camera operator couldn't keep his shit together. Uh-huh. He tries to be polite and then the, the fucking, the guy keeps spraying him and then the priest, I, yeah, here we go. Yeah, he slaps his Bible down. The priest punches him. This is great. Book. And, and then he's he like, had, he oh, no. That, oh no. <laughs> but he has that moment where he thinks about it. Like he steps back and goes, no, oh, I'm, I'm going to do, do it. Yeah. yeah. What's funny is that well, editorially, now he comes back. editorially yeah. this I think we see him later, don't we? Doesn't he join Fight Club and yeah. we see the priest later? <laughs> you see him going, yeah! yeah. <laughs> the uh, sequence of events here was altered in post where yeah, I was gonna they were going to have yeah. the scene where Edward Norton confronts his boss just because they needed to have a scene because we've had this whole subplot this whole time where, well, we're showing his work and his boss is getting increasingly more annoyed and frustrated and kind of worried about this guy. So that's clearly an arc so that we have to... it's clearly an arc we have to resolve. But they Good moved, for but they you, had the scene, screenwriter. But they had God the scene somewhere else where... <laughs> Okay, we just need to have that scene. And in that, in that context, that scene has no meaning. Right. That's just, well, we need to resolve this because I, would, I took a screenwriting class. Right. But they moved it in, in editorial they edited it. to yeah. where over the course of the sequence where they're showing you're going to have a fight and you're going to lose, they resolve that scene as a climax. Right. As opposed to having a meaningless scene somewhere else, they abstractly paste it onto the end of the scene where right. it's like, here's what's going to happen. And, and then it, all of a sudden, the attitude coming into the scene isn't, oh, this guy again. It's... Oh yeah, shit! It makes it completely meaningful, and I mean that's that goes back to what they talk about. Like you, you make the movie three times. You write it, you shoot it, and then you edit it. Right, and you can completely change all three times the meaning and 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 the the structure and everything of the movie by editing it differently. And I mean that's what, um, according to some stories, saved the original Star Wars. Right, you right. Know? With the, the 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 climax at the end of the well, a lot of it. Yeah, through most of the movie, but particularly with the. Uh... This the is Battle al- of Yavin. This is also interesting because, again, I mean, it's 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 an interesting uh, thing when you watch it the first time. It's yeah. like, oh, he's he's gonna pin it on his boss and blah, blah blah, and that's awesome. Like he's having a fight with himself basically. But then you're like, oh, I guess that hand is Tyler yeah. <laughs> is what's happening here. You know, basically, when you discover that it's he's essentially two people anyway. Because he has these genuine I moments. I hadn't thought of it that way before. Yeah, well, he has, he's, he's actually like, having a fight with Tyler in his mind right yeah. now. Are you sure? Well, no. Are you I'm sure not, he's I mean, not just empowered by the fact that pain doesn't hurt him anymore? Well, no. He's def- there's definitely there's an element that. of that empowerment, but but I mean, there's the fact where it seems very clear that the the right hand is acting almost of its own volition, and he's he's putting on almost a performance and blaming it on this other guy almost. But it's like, is it is he really talking to this other guy, or does he think he's talking to? Tyler? But he's obviously what Edward Norton is doing is genuinely saying, "Please don't," as mm-hmm. opposed to taunting his boss. Right. Right. Like that's what. Edward Norton is doing in the scene. Right. This is the sequence that always killed me right here is when he reaches oh, up God. and you see the glass in his hand and yeah. then he and then yeah. he watch it. He jams it down and rests his arm on it. Mm-hmm. And he's I love ah. the little reaction there where he's looking down, he's like, What what? <laughs> yeah, his what nose. is happening to yeah. me? And this right here is a perfect moment oh, where God. the security guys come in. Yeah. And he's just oh thank God. <laughs> it's beautiful. And I, and I do love this bit, too, where he's like, you see how insane I am? You want me coming back? Do you? And then, yeah, he just uses this. Awesome. And you can actually see, I never noticed this until like the last maybe two or three times I see this. He's just whistling Watch away. on the left side. He, Edward Norton looks. There he is. He's looking. And it's the guy from Fight Club that he couldn't uh, talk to because he was a different guy when he was trouncing the matron mm, of a local food court. Nice. Same guy. Hmm. And uh, we're, I think we're coming up on our, our priest character right here. 
God, this movie is just so... You know how they say every scene has to point to the next scene? Uh-huh. And ideally, every scene will point back as well? Mm-hmm. This movie has at least two arrows on both sides of every scene. Right. This movie is so strong. This is like a series of triangles. It's just so structurally... In, it, the integrity of what's going on here is so thorough... That it this blows is, you away. This it makes the, you feel inadequate. This is the other thing, the reason I brought up UFC before. Is uh, is that the priest just screaming away? That is but, the priest, yeah. Um, Saying, the, yeah! That's, that's the other thing. Like Everyone just goes literally ape shit when they're watching <laughs> this thing. But also, at the end of it, there's always the, the moment where these guys who have just been punching each other in the neck for like five minutes at a time until one of them passed out. Like They call the end of the fight, and unless... Unless they're doing kind of a WWE thing where they, they're like, they're oh, they, they've got a character thing. Because they're starting to go in that direction with UFC. But unless they're doing that, then it's like the, the, the top billing fight. Like, they'll get up and they'll, like, they'll hug each other and do the whole thing. And it's like, that is so odd. Like, like if you just looking at it objectively, it's like, it's so weird. Because they're just beating the shit out of each other. The bell goes off and that's over. And then they, like... Appreciate each other. Their ability after to that. shed all this aggression exactly from one moment to the next. Exactly, and that's exactly what you're looking at in in Fight Club. You know, they're they're it's it's even worse than UFC. <laughs> they're just pounding the shit out of each other and, and making each other bleed and breaking their noses and stuff. But at the end, it's like they're they're glad that they did it and they're glad for the other person as a result. What they're doing here is they're going through and they're beating up on cars and they're they're avoiding the cars that aren't pretentious in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And in the commentary with the uh, with the director David Fincher, Brad Pitt and Edward Norton, they're talking about how the actors had an idea to both kind of grin and hit a new VW bug. And oh. the reasoning at the time, Edward Norton explains that the reasoning at the time was that it basically represents... I love these cars, by the way. Yes. It basically represents... Yeah, it'd be kind of funny to replace the actual cards <laughs> in an airplane. you get so fucking killed by the... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> if they uh, found you. The, the, their argument was that, or at least the idea behind the throwaway gag of, we're going to beat up on a new Volkswagen bug. 1999, they were brand new. Was that this basically represent, represents a hippie... Growing up, getting to the point where he can control the way the world works, and selling his own childhood back to the world, where he gets uh-huh. the guy that had a VW Bug when he was 19 years old became 42, and now he's the the owner of this whole like the department of guys that right. can like all right, what are we going to do, guys? And basically just remarketing his existing childhood for the people, and then they had an argument against that. In the commentary, I think I think it was Brad Pitt who had the argument that said. I've, I've since revised my opinion of the bug. I don't care so much anymore. And one of the other guys, I think if it was Brad Pitt that said that, it would have been Ed Norton that said, really, dude? That's kind of... No. No. VW <laughs> Bugs, bad. Well, well, I mean, the, the um, I, I do know that Brad Pitt, I, I think on the commentary, was basically like, yeah, I don't agree with anything that Tyler Durden do, does in this movie. <laughs> like, at all. He's definitely a character. But, um, you know, the, disagreeing with the actions he takes is different than disagreeing with, with what he's doing it for you know like this bit this this movie has so many interesting and thought-provoking sequences but this is the most thought-provoking of all of them for what's me. what's his name what's this uh, guy's edward name edward k hessel maybe something edward like that k. raymond k hessel raymond where uh, yeah. he uh he basically for those that aren't with us obviously you know but he's pointing a gun at someone's head and said do what it is you want to do with your life right or i'll kill you right what and an, some people, what, an, what an interesting release. Yeah, and some people, it, it, you know, but especially like we talked about in the '90s, it's almost like some people needed a gun to their head. To do, they that. needed someone to point a gun at their head and and, and go, fucking live your life. <laughs> Don't just, <laughs> just do what do you're what doing. makes you happy. Exactly. I love I love that you know the little bits where he's like, what did you study there? Stuff. <laughs> it's like what kind of an Wait, answer no. is he that? He says where the midterms hard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, again, what what Tyler Durden does is is he, point, in a he sense basically turns the camera back around at everyone, but it, it's reprehensible in act. This is one of those weird things where in action, but not it's in so in good. Concept, this is a movie yeah. and not a Supreme Court case because right, the layers exactly. of nuance would be lost. <laughs> On the fucking denizens of the United States Supreme Court. Oh, this is illegal. This is, <laughs> this is by because far what's happening so is that the manifestation of these actions, the execution of the idea that he chose to use, is fucked up and wrong, and yet his intentions are crystal clear Gandhi sainthood. They're so noble. It, it yeah. absolutely is. He's, yeah. se- he's setting people free, but how he is doing it he's is. He's burning the fuck out of a guy's hand to tell him. Right. If you keep living Be like free. this, you will not fulfill yourself. Well, and, and, He's and putting even a gun in a guy's head and saying, if you don't go to be a vet right now, I'll kill you. Even at the end, and we talk, and, and he specifically talks about it. He talks about hitting bottom. He's like, he has to, in, in his opinion, because of the, the, the predominating culture, he's like, I, oh, and by the way, the gun is empty, so there is an element to Tyler that's kind of like, huh, interesting. How far like, is he willing to go? Yeah, yeah. Um, he wasn't going to shoot that guy. No matter right. what happened, he wasn't going to. So that that does give him an interesting kind of. This is sort of a. Uh, let's let's take a pause here. Basically, this mon- this monologue is something that I memorized for a while because I would say it when I was more of a disciple of this movie than I am now. But what's happening is that on he's set, talking to us. He's talking to us. He's talking <laughs> to the people in the chairs that he knows there are people there. But what's happening on set is that they're shaking the shit out of the camera. Like Star Trek, oh, something just exploded shaking the camera. Uh-huh. And motion tracking it so his nose doesn't move. And the motion blur that's residual leaves this really bizarre shaking effect mm-hmm. on him. And they're so cool. And they brought in they brought in the sides of the film to make it f- seem like the film, shaking, itself yeah, film itself was going was, to just come off the rails. With the intensity of the words and, you're saying. And they thought they actually talked about um, Some people were like, oh, oh. Well, they had to. They had to think about it because they're like they thought they were going to get in trouble with the projectionist union for leaving that in because it would make the projectionist look bad because the the film registration was bad. Do you know how that panned out? Uh, obviously, they left it in, and I don't think there were any problems with it. But there was that concern that came up. But but like I was saying, there's the whole thing about Tyler Durden's philosophy, especially you know given the the culture of the '90s and stuff like that, or even the end of the '90s was like. And as we see quite literally with destroying all those buildings, who which are completely empty, by the way. He's, it's very he evacuates, clear. Yeah. It's very clear that he, he, he takes doesn't want to kill out. people. He wants yeah. to sell he wants to help people. He, he wants, wants to help people. So he's he has to bring everything down in order to build everything up, is is his perspective, basically. So Tyler Durden's like Ron Paul. <laughs> oh God, no. Oh God. <laughs> Tyler Durden makes a lot more sense than Ron Paul does, I think. Tyler Durden is less crazy than Ron Paul. <laughs> and less imaginary. No, I'm just thinking. <laughs> I don't know what that even means. I just thought it sounded funny. <laughs> oh. What is he saying here? I don't know. Basically, he's going on about him and Tyler, but she thinks they're going, he's Siler? going on about both of him. I said Tyler. Tyler. I said no, Tyler, you said Siler. Did I say Siler? Dun, dun, dun. Uh, I don't know. I, I, like I, 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 I wasn't listening. Tyler. In any case, we'll talk about heroes some other time. <laughs> Basically, Marla gets it. She's like, something is wrong. Something is terribly this, wrong with this somewhat pretty guy with kind of a lisp. Mm-hmm. It would be funny to see a version of events. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be interesting, but it would be funny to watch the actual occurrences of every interaction between quote Tyler and quote Jack throughout the film 
because to see Tyler just—I mean, they show a shot later in the sequence of the lie on the hand where he's just sitting there washing his hand burn. Well, and they show him handing the bottle to nothing and just letting it break, letting it fall. But so many things in this movie just are. God, he's nuts. Yeah, he's a broken mofo. This guy belongs on Hollywood Boulevard with a Spider-Man outfit and a guitar. (laughs) I don't think that guy's quite as crazy as, as the guy inventing Tyler Durden in his head. I could be wrong, but... All right, here we go. Now we're breaking into phase three. Where, right, and now this is interesting, what was originally too. something that they did for a release and then became something that they did with an agenda to a nihilistic, anarchistic agenda is now a nihilistic, anarchistic political agenda. Well, but it's still something they're doing for a release, in a sense. It's still something where they're saying, I'm not going to be who you want me to be. That's the whole thing. They destroy, the rejection of society. Yeah, they destroy... Cor- but the re- rejection of, of fabricated society. The rejection of the corporate art, which in turn destroys a Starbucks. You know, that right. kind of thing. It's like they're not, they're not after people. They're after the, the ideas that are put upon people to try and make them into something that they're not. Arguably, we just saw the first shot of Edward Norton as Tyler Durden... And they didn't explain to us the difference so that we didn't really care. We, we watched him. But it's, he was getting pissed off at the guy, but he was, rep- he, he was acting less meek than the character right. Edward Norton plays and actually it's, does. Well, he so was putting on this thing where, and, he's, and, where they're trying to, or he is trying to drive this guy so, away to so make the, sure so he really So the question cares. is, was, yeah. he being, was he affecting badass or was he just being Tyler Durden? Right. Are we right. watching Tyler right now? Yeah. But it's an interesting transition without knowing that the two are actually one because he... he Flips so quickly between what the hell are you doing? Just letting him standing there, and Tyler Durden says whatever he says. Oh, right. well, you know, do this and let them do that. And well, he goes, okay. Really the other guy is like, watch the. I think it's this scene right now where he's talking. Where's Meatloaf? Where, where one of them, where where one of the same guy says some shit, and then the guy gets kind of disappointed and walks away. And then the other of the same guy goes, no, it's okay. Stay. Uh huh. I no, wonder chill, why the chill. guy didn't go. God, that guy's nuts. But mm-hmm. no, it, it's it's Meatloaf, isn't it? And, yeah. And yeah, Meatloaf that's... has this look where he's like, wait, what the hell is going on here? Uh huh. Well, let's see. Let's yeah, watch right. him. It's right here. Because I haven't, I, I don't recall watching the scene with the same, uh, the same thing with the perspective. Yeah, too old. No, too no, no thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's see what happens. It says, okay, he well, just gives up. All right, I guess not. Okay, Bob, Bob. Yeah, it's too far oh. away to tell. But I guess you don't really notice. They cut away. Huh, I must have made that up. I guess so. But um, I always find it... I'll give you that. I always find it fake interesting like where they get an actor to literally shave his head on camera. Uh-huh. It's like, I don't care. He doesn't probably give a shit. He's getting uh-huh. paid. Exactly. But it seems so... It seems so... Wow, he's really doing that. Yeah. Well, it's... I mean, the... the I'm almost more impressed by it because I'm like, well, they really committed because they can't go back now. <laughs> they, yeah. They, they can't reshoot him yeah. until he grows that shit back. I guess they could put a wig on him, but or that's do, the part that impresses me. Or with a different actor, Michael. I guess so. <laughs> no, you would tell. Okay. Yeah, I don't like Jared Leto having uh, bleached his eyebrows because it almost looks like he doesn't have any at all, <laughs> to be honest. It looks like his eyebrows got burned off. Um, this is so weird. And, Lye, and suddenly we're lapsing into what, what brings to mind visions of Nazi propaganda. Right. Where it's a guy with a or, or horn the just fucking, doing his thing. Or, or uh, communist China, you know. Yeah. the the No, the, no, yeah. Nazis. Okay, fine. Well, this is where the, I will invoke Godwin's Law. <laughs> 
All right, this podcast is over. Here we go. Watch and this. again, right and now he's he's carrying one of the blue Project Mayhem binders. Right. And again, the weird thing is like is like breaking it down to build it up. He's telling you you are not special, but at the same time, he's basically trying to say, yes, you are. Yeah, you are an individual. You need to realize that you are an individual and not what everyone else wants you to be. So there's this weird, like I say, well, it's either a, hypocrisy or at least paradox of what yeah. Tyler Durden is doing. It's a, I think it's he's a underlining what the problem is. Mm-hmm. He's saying, in, you know, you know how you use a bracket to say what's not said in a quote. Mm-hmm. He's saying, maybe, bra- he's saying bracket in the society bracket. You are not special. Right. In this bracket, ma- you will not. I suppose that's true. He's like, he's like, given what you think about yourself, this is the this situation. is the problem. Right. right. Yes. Okay. I can. Give but then that. you also hit upon the fundamental hypocrisy of the whole thing. It's like, well, you should. This is anarchy. We should all be anarchists, and it's all you know. Don't be a part of anything. Let's all, let's all but refuse. Join my cult. Exactly. Let's refuse to accept authority together. Yes. <laughs> refuse to accept any authority except mine. Right. Exactly. Now build a garden for me. This guy will come back. Build a garden. I think they were. That's what they're doing. They are. Like, they're yeah. building a big ass garden. Yeah. This guy comes back later as the guy they cut the balls off of, or don't, as the scene will. Maybe, maybe he does. Maybe in this oh. in this particular watching, he will do something different. Little hint of the green paint there on on Brad Pitt scratching his lip. Well. Yeah, that is a bit much on the on Jared Leto, like frosting his eyebrows. Like I told you, that's too much. People that dye their hair have to think about this shit because people always say, "Why don't you dye your eyebrows red?" And the first time you go, "Yeah, I should," and the second time you go, "I thought about this," and frankly, I think you're fucking stupid. Yeah, <laughs> I think that would be dumb. I always have a problem. I think it's this where you uh, see the way they've composited in the fire, and the fire is clearly shot from a different angle than what they were doing the comp for. Mm-hmm. So you see that basically they've distorted the the plate of the fire in a way that doesn't look realistic at all. That might be a different movie, though. I, I feel. Oh, there you go. There's. There's. I think oh, there's that the moment where they're, where they're that's, confused. That meat, that's Meatloaf's what the fuck is going on because he's like, uh, is you this told, a trick? You told us to do that. Yeah, exactly. He's like, you told us, and also you told us not to do what you're doing right now. Uh, We're very confused. But, I, but I, I love that he sets up this kind of culture where they're like, we love him because he's crazy. <laughs> like that's why we respect him. Well, that's well, what seems because to work. We're historically, I mean, that's what cults Man- are. They're cults. You, you listen to people from like Jonestown or uh, from the Manson family, and they're talking about how God, he was so compassionate and so amazing, but he had these moments of terror and scariness and just really bizarre. And it was just these, you know, the, the, it's, it almost seems like people can't re- can't find worthwhile leadership skills in someone that seems level-headed, which to me as a level-headed or at least someone that that aims to be a level-headed person is alarming as shit. Well, I mean, I mean, where, some, where not everyone will respond to someone that lays out something in a, in a conclusive way. That's true. I mean, we were, we, the people that are fucking nuts are the ones that get followed. We were talking about it even even before this one on just just the various um not even the the current religions but like myths and stuff like that. It's like all of the gods that people followed seem kind of unstable. Schizophrenic <laughs> yeah. points in the story. Yeah. yeah, very 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 schizophrenic. But yeah, if you look at if you look at cults, if you look at Nazi Germany, any any situation like that, it's it's all dependent upon the this cult of personality where you have one very yeah, charismatic, rash, thing, yeah. one very charismatic but very fucked up guy that just has some kind of power over people who it's not a genuine movement, it's a cult of personality. And if you remove that element, then you remove Well, yeah, I mean there's the element where it's just people want to be led. Yes. The majority yeah. of people want someone to tell them what to do and what to think. To take the burden off of them. Yeah, exactly. And I think 
as uh, again the the paradox of of Tyler is he's fulfilling that for them while at the same time being don't, don't be do that, that person yeah stop it you know so I do think that uh, it, it almost feels like some of the times he's he's going to this line to be like will they actually do this with me you right. know what are they are are they going to know better than to do what I tell them if to I do? take them far enough will they eventually wake up and see that what I'm making them do is crazy right right there's me love losing his pants. see there it is now again this is very strange because he's really jealous of Jared Leto but he also just did that and was was very there's an element that makes me confused on a psychological level where it's like could a person actually portray not only a third person representation of themselves with an entirely different worldview, but interact real time in a universe where that's happening Mm -hmm. where he's putting himself mentally and believably, not like he's not affecting this. He actually, his brain is doing something where he is standing in a different place. Right. Watching something from a different angle while someone else does what his hands are actually well, doing. I don't, oh, I yeah, don't, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I mean, I mean if a you... A human being's imagination is so incredibly powerful. And, and of course, you always get into the point of like, you know, how reliable is memory and stuff like that. It's like, when I think of things that have happened in my past, sometimes... I'm remembering them from like third person perspective. Mm-hmm. I see myself doing them and it's like that doesn't make any sense because there's no way I could remember it from that perspective. But it it is something that you kind of This was end a sequence that they had to that they had to play with because they were getting an NC17. Yeah. And what ends up happening is that the shots on screen will uh, the three of us sitting here right now won't experience it as terrifyingly as someone in the theater will because right. this entire the sequence it's just sound. Is, is sound it's, it's all just sound, sound of someone it's the sound of someone being, yeah. being basically beaten to death mm-hmm. where although he doesn't die but he, he gets he, shit I, I don't think he refers out. to it I think he refers to it earlier where he's saying when you hear someone get hit so hard that they gasp of breath and it bubbles mm-hmm. the sound effect that they've created here for basically representing that exact phenomenon is just terrible. his reaction and then there and is, it's, the, is, it's the reaction that's the worst where you look at him and it's, you don't even know what his teeth are doing well no but the reaction of him is he's just like he looks around and he's like huh, yeah and walks know. away but watch Jared Leto here when they, now when, the, when, yeah. they, when they look back at him he's got he's just he looks yeah what is that now he says but but the interesting thing about that line to me is he says I felt like destroying something beautiful but it's like is he really talking about Jared Leto or is he talking about kind of the almost innocence of Fight Club. As much as it's violent, it's the kind of thing, there were rules, and it's like, you have to stop at some point. Right. And he didn't stop. You know, so so in a sense, he kind of just destroyed the safety of Fight Club. He more didn't, as well he didn't follow point. the rules of the yeah. system he set up. And, and, and again, yeah, he set up the system, right. so now everyone else is going... I don't know what to do and I don't know what to think. Right. right more now. sore than the more sore than the first person the first instance where something like this happened where it's him and Marla in the kitchen and you get the hint that wait, who's Tyler? This have this even underlines that where the driver puts his hand out in front of Edward Norton and says, Here's your keys, Mr or uh, here you go, long term parking, Mr. Durden. And Ty- and and Edward Norton turns to Brad Pitt and says, After you and Brad Pitt looks at him like Dude, no, you. There's a sequence there where the t- where the driver you may not pay. You may not even care. You, you may. Your brain may fill in the half a paragraph of a detail where it's like the driver just doesn't know who he talked to on the phone when he was in the car. Mm-hmm. But someone that's watching this movie would look at that and think so obviously. Oh well, he's clear. This is no one could make it through the scene without going something's up. But, by the way, this this scene um, in the book. This conversation was in there, but strangely, it wasn't Tyler. It was just some random space monkey who had kind of the, the essentially same conversation with him. Hmm. This whole sequence was shot with a, a rear projection mm-hmm. uh, and a water machine. 
And he did that in seven too, if I recall correctly. And it's always this look. That oh, by the way, there are other people so in the car hearing him right. screaming at and, himself. And this is the when you, <laughs> at least for me, with the, at the very first moments later on when you realize that they're the same person. This is the first scene that I thought of. Like, what were those guys thinking? Right, right. You see their reactions occasionally. Yeah, but it's uh, and but there's all that's also very cool that. He's like, what do you want to do before you die? And they have answers like that. Yeah. Like, this is the kind of thing that they've been forced to think about. Right. Due to, due to this. And that was his whole point. That's why he did this. Without even realizing it to an extent. <laughs> it's funny. The overlap and then the dissonance between themes here present in an in, in atheistic conversation and also with the religious overtones where God doesn't like you, God doesn't like you. God don't give a shit about you. Exactly. All those things. And then the very humanist perspective of, you only get to do this once. Well, that's Wake almost the same thing. Wake up and do something you want to do. It's almost the same thing. It's like, it's like you have to accept the notion that, God, that if there's a God, he doesn't like you. Okay. That's so true. you don't get heaven. This is all you get. So do something with it. I guess those are you the know? same thing. That's in, essentially in a weird the, way. the same idea. This sequence is interesting because very rarely do you see a car accident happen from inside the car. Yeah. Uh, Although you've seen them more and more recently. Well, you've now, seen yeah. like you'll see like you know you'll see they have it. They have a, like PS- an insert of Jason Statham's head hitting the steering right. wheel. Right. Well, there's a PSA from the UK about not texting in the car, which is hilariously bad blue screen. But <laughs> but it's like it's like five minutes long. And what's interesting about it? This is going totally off the subject now. But what's interesting about it as a PSA is. It doesn't just show the crash and then stop. It shows all the aftermath of the crash. It shows people arriving. It shows the, the, the person in the driver's seat surviving, but her friends are dead and stuff like that. And, and it's like the next three minutes are her just sitting there waiting to be rescued. And it's like, that's interesting because hmm. usually the PSA, you do the thing and you're left to, to imagine it yourself. But it's like, it's like no, it's showing you. think about this. Think about how you have to stay in this situation and there's no way out. Connecting... You know? Connecting the event of crashing to... I mean, we've all had that situation where we dr- have driven by on the road an accident that has just happened. Right. And we see the, the vehicle, the rescue vehicles. So it's like connecting that moment of crash to that moment of the aftermath that we've all right. seen from a, right. from the outsider's perspective. Right. Now, here's the a thing. Life there, was a, there was a moment oh, where yeah. what ends up happening here is the car flips over and... Brad Pitt climbs out and reaches to Edward Norton over the undercarriage of the car, which is flipped over, and is arranged in a way where Brad Pitt would have had to be sitting in the passenger seat, and uh-huh. Edward Norton would have had to be sitting in the driver's seat. And apparently the editor, and God bless editors for noticing shit like this, said, we've got a continuity error here, we should probably flip this shot. And uh, Fincher said, no. No, see, uh, no. He, this is the point. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will well, give good for the editor. I don't know. Where to give credit exactly, but going back to that point where the valet gives them the keys and they and they get in, most actors are not very smart people. The good ones are, but a lot of the smaller ones tend to be not midgets. And, yeah, not well in smaller roles. Not, not necessarily. The <laughs> there are also no, no small roles, only midgets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, the guy, I mean, the valet, and whether that was the valet who understood or whether Fincher made sure he understood of that point of view of like wait what's going on with this guy i don't that weird yeah. weird aspect where all these all of the smaller secondary and tertiary characters even the the random space monkeys have this point of view of like what's going on this mm-hmm. guy 
This guy's weird. I'm very confused. <laughs> but it makes me respect him for some reason. Oh. I, I, I love that shot as well. You don't focus on it, but he's like... It's coming back to... Because what's his name? Kessel or whatever. Raymond J. Kessel or... Was that his name? Raymond Hessel, I think Raymond it was. Raymond Hessel, sorry. Um, he took his driver's license. And then he closes the door and you see this wall of driver's <laughs> licenses on the back of the, the door. And is like, oh my god. <laughs> but then again, at the, at the end of the movie, you're like, I'm not sure I disagree with him. <laughs> like, and that disturbs me somehow. There was a throw line right there where he says, do you, ha- do you know how much ether we have in this fucking house? Which comes back later, obviously. He's chastising a guy for smoking around... All this ether he has, but as an audience, the first time watching it, why would they have ether? Uh huh. Well, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. And another instance of, okay, here's our leader telling us to do all these things, and then right. in the afternoon he walks in, confused, confused about but, all the things. But he of told course, us as, we, as we see with um, the detectives, named after the un uncredited. Uh, uh, script doctor Andrew Kevin Walker, mm. um, a- detectives Andrew Kevin and Walker. Um, they're basically they're basically like, yeah, you told us you would come back and be crazy, so we're just going to ignore <laughs> the fact that you're, you've come back and you're crazy. Well, the same thing here, where the first rule of Project Main, first rule of Fight Club is don't talk about it. Second rule of Fight Club basically elaborates on what was clearly Tyler Durden Psyche's idea with don't talk about it, which is don't ask questions. And it works out in his favor. Where well, he's, that's he's the first clear, rule of Project Mayhem. Well, that's rule saying. one and two of Fight Club are both don't talk about. Well, yeah, but they're both the same. They're, kind of, they're coming from the same place where they're Tyler Durden Psyche's way of dealing with the fact that there's going to be a dissonance between what this guy's experiencing as what he thinks is reality and what clearly everyone else thinks is happening, which is actually a dissonance between the fact that he thinks he's one guy and thinks he's another guy. In Project Mayhem, it works out so well that he's taught everyone, no matter what happens, the answer is don't ask questions. Mm-hmm. So when he walks in and says, what's going on? Jared Leto looks at him and says, I know what you're doing. Not- don't ask questions, right? Ah, you're testing me. It's like, yeah. no, no. I, I'm, I want to know. But, but it seems, the interesting thing, of course, is that it seems like Tyler knows what's going on the whole time. It's just this other guy who doesn't seem to quite understand this other aspect of himself. Which is a funny thing that comes up at the end, where it's like, when, you, when you've got a couple leftover questions, when you're done writing your screenplay and you're about to shoot it, you add a line in a couple places just to fill in those questions. Right. It's not like I invented some loser alter ego to make myself feel better. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean there's a scene where he says, don't, you know, there, he's talking to Marla... In the kitchen, and Tyler's at the bottom of the stairs being don't, saying, don't mention me. And then later on, he talks to her about Tyler, and he appears in the room, and he's like, I told you not to talk about me. And yeah. it's like, uh... <laughs> so Tyler understood what was happening, but not Jack, or whatever his name is. This is, um... This was a physical prop augmented by CG. I, I know... I recognize that other guy, by the way. Yeah, but. he looks like The Rock. No, I, no, no. Well, I, he looks. I'm not saying it is him, but right, it looks a little on like the right him. side of the screen, right yeah. there. Yeah, I, I recognize him. I just don't know who he is. I feel like he always essentially plays this role. Though. Jesus, well, yeah, David Fincher is really good with corpses. I gotta say, he really what finds your, like what else? Are you he's got a good to? corpse guy. So, well, um, um seven. Seven, just in general, seven. Like, like you, you show a dead body, and he's like, well, and you're just, you just look at it, you're like, holy shit, that's a dead body, you know? Um, as opposed to anything else where you just kind of look at it, and you're like, that's a dummy, that's blah, blah, blah. Like, he just kind of, 
shows you a really unpleasant, <laughs> the unpleasant truth of what a dead body looks like. And bravo to, to David Fincher for adding a new piece to the Rocky Horror Picture Show experience. Which one? The Robert Paulson. They say that now. It's they like it's like a part of it's a regular part of the thing now. Nice when when uh at the dinners because yeah uh, uh-huh. meatloaf does the thing and then eventually uh, they Tim kill him Curry and they put him under the, the and table, then he becomes right. dinner yeah right. so then when they reveal that he's under the table and he's dinner everyone says his name is Robert, Robert Paulson? Paulson that's awesome I like that this is so such a bizarre moment too where it's yeah. like where it's like he's taking it. A little too abstractly. He's like, everyone who dies is named Robert Paulson. It's like, that doesn't even make sense. What are you doing? Stop it. Like, stop overthinking this. Just the... Well, this is the moment where he realizes his creation is out of his control. Right. And it becomes this demagoguery immediately. Like, they just start chanting it. You know what I thought They turn on the The voice of Yakko Warner? Rob Paulson. Ah... United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, <laughs> Haiti, Jamaica, Peru. He's the voice of um, Mr. Opportunity. Some car commercial also pinky. voiceover. Yes. Nerf. But I just heard his voice in the radio yesterday. He also so did like, the original oh, voice of the, for $10,000, who shot Alexander Hamilton? Oh, yeah? Yeah. One of Michael Bay's early commercials. Michael Bay's early commercials? Yeah. Who later directed the I Would Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That. We end down in front. Bring it all together. We end down in front. Know everything, but we don't know when to keep it on topic. Exactly. <laughs> also, Michael Bay. Uh, okay. What are we doing? Oh yeah, five Michael five. Bay directed Transformers. Uh, mm. uh, yes. Oh boy, we're uh. gonna have to do that eventually. But eventually, there's this cool shot in the sequence. I don't know if we got into it yet. Where he goes, taxi, and there's a plane flying like right over his head. No, we haven't gotten to that yet. Oh, it's such a cool little throwaway. Oh, that's awesome. He's like, I'm looking for Tyler Durden, and they're all like. You're Tyler, uh, you're Tyler Durden. And, and he gives him this wink, like, ah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I see what you're doing here. It's <laughs> like, what? Interesting. There we go. There it There's is. There's your shot. <laughs> Ever we missed that. We're going to wait for another guy to come on this approach. Yeah, we're waiting 45 for... minutes. Yeah. I like this guy who's like fake John Stewart. <laughs> He's like Brooklyn John Stewart. That would have been a little amazing if that had been John. If John Stewart showed up in this movie, it'd be like, oh, actually, that actually, would be very, very unsettling. You know what? At the time, it wouldn't wouldn't have been because he's only been on The Daily Show for about ten years. So he had, well, he had just started. Well, he, he was just an actor started. before that, though. He had a bunch of acting roles. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, he had a show he, on MTV. Which he, well, and then well, which he now exactly, roles. which he Cody, now Cody, Cody. mocks regularly whenever he has an actor on. He's hey, like, I was in Big Daddy. Like, yeah, he's uh, like you. We're in the Oscar-winning whatever, and I was a supporting actor in Death to Smoochie, which, by the way, is a very underrated movie. Yes, I really is. like Death to Smoochie. Once again, us on Down in Front know everything, and we can't keep it on topic. This is the topic. Well, I mean, the topic behind Fight Club is really, when you get down to it, nothing. So, All right, now, we've gone right? about 40 minutes after the last expenditure of David Fincher credit he had built up in the first 40 minutes. Where we left it all with the lie on the hand. Mm-hmm. We've been building up a little bit since then, and we're about to come into a scene, a sequence, a series of events, where if we haven't lost you then, 
we're going to lose you now, and if we don't lose you now, your brain's about to get fucking blown but, by the end of this movie. I mean, but to be fair to David Fincher, it's like it's not like he's coming up with this out of whole cloth. He's following the book very, very strongly. Whatever, the story. Know? It's not a Fincher thing. It's the story. Thing. Yeah. I like how fucked up this bartender is, by the way. He's got to have, like, the, the shit drilled into his skull to brace his neck and all that. Like... Traction. Yeah. Yeah, he's... he's He's a serious Fight Club member. This guy. <laughs> there, I mean, there, there are there are injuries you can get where the only the only answer is to immediately lock down the bones so that you don't slide in the wrong way an inch and tear the artery and kill yourself. Well, so they drill into your leg and hold it there, oh, God. and there isn't time for anesthetic. They just drill. Right. Well, into there's your that. I mean, down. I mean, the thing they're doing here, like it's the same thing. It's like if you feel they they tell you if you feel a crack in your neck, like a lot of times you want to get up and kind of stretch your neck out, and it's like no, don't because, do that. Because, You'll because, die. Yeah, if one of your ver- well, at the very least, it's like if one of your vertebrae is damaged, you might slice your spinal cord and paralyze yourself. Like that's you may have broken your neck, but you might be okay as long as you don't move. Your your neck around and, and sever the spinal cord. So that's why they do that kind of thing. Brian became queasy. Uh, yeah. He was not happy uh, about that moment of information. All right, here we go. Here's- this is our expenditure of credit part two. Uh, the remainder of this film is basically, all right, guys, I gave you an hour and a half of setup. This is what the movie's been about. I hope you can deal with it. We're going we're gonna to commit to the crazy for the remainder of the film. By the way, what she's uh, what she's talking about in terms of her relationship with Tyler, you fuck me, you snub me, you love me, you hate me, it's like, I almost feel like that's Fincher's relationship with Fox right there. It's like, <laughs> she's like, I'm putting Tyler this Durden. in. Tyler Durden. Well, Tyler Durden, I'm sorry. D- you don't talk about Fox Club. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, there it is. And of course, his head is shaved and he's wearing like welder goggle looking sunglasses. And he looks insane now. He's wearing a fur coat or a feathered coat now. Which, by the way, is the same kind of coat that Marla is wearing at the end of the film. But. Well, he's gone from stylish to just crazy looking. Yeah. Like, menacing. I guess the question becomes, psychologically, if you could have an apparition, would he have his own agenda that he would try to keep from you? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think so. Well, to an extent. I well, mean, if it's a multiple personality right, order, exactly. The multiple, well, he's living like he has a life of his own where he doesn't want the other agendas. one to know. So it's basically um, a guy with multiple personalities where one of those personalities understands what's, understands what's going on. And the other So basically not. Tyler Durden is the non-crazy part of Tyler Durden. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which, which, again, is an odd thing to say because he seems like the way more insane one when right. it comes down to it. Um, wow. Watching this movie, I've never had a problem with this. But watching it with, without the audio and not being fully involved in it, I'm starting to think, wow, this is an awful big leap. It is a big leap. It's and the remainder jump. of this, I mean, if, if yeah. you just go with them with it and you say, okay, I'll let you do that, then the remainder of the storytelling functions on its own. But a lot of times filmmaking boils down to a situation where if you don't go with him here, the rest of the movie's not going to work for oh, you. Oh, yeah, it's over now. The, mo- the movie, like, you either accept this or you walk out. Right. The, mo- the movie dives in, and you either have to dive in after it or... Walk away. Oh, I guess we do see what those guys saw. I was saying that when they walked out. They're like, what yeah. the fuck are they seeing? Yeah. We know, actually. And that's the that's the same bottle that he throws that you were talking about earlier, right? Right, T? No. Different bottle. Michael was really? talking about that. I'm the one with the red hair. No, with the <laughs> moment where he throws it and it stays in the frame, and he thought that was brilliant filmmaking for no, some reason. No, it was across... No, that was just a thing where... That was just funny that Brad Pitt threw a bottle and it stayed in frame. LOL. Okay. Lol, JK. <laughs> Burb. And, and of course, 
like they're talking about, he's he's w- throughout the film. Um, it's been a very subtle thing, but Edward Norton gets shittier and shittier looking because he doesn't sleep because yeah. he stays up all night as Tyler, whereas Tyler, who does not exist, gets essentially better and better looking throughout the film. Although now he looks kind of batshit crazy given what he's wearing, but. Um, yeah, he you can you can definitely tell that the if if you look at it now it's like wow, he definitely has not been sleeping. But now he is. And again, it's referencing like movies right here, the changeover and stuff like that, and you just watch it and you're like, how could they have told this story in this style without it being a movie? But then you read the book and you're the like, the more how you read you Chuck Palahniuk novels, the more you understand that too. Right, He's written a lot right. of if you want to get into to to I wasn't a big fan of Choke though. I didn't like Choke. Choke is my least favorite of his novels. My favorite is probably Survivor or yeah, Survivor. Uh, mm-hmm. He also wrote a, he wrote a book called Lullaby. Survivor is about the last member of a cult that killed itself. Hmm. Uh, he's like the last member of Jonestown, but he was still a devotee to the cult. Where he's overslept and missed the mass suicide, <laughs> and he has to explain himself and his group to the entire world press. Huh. It's a cool idea. All right, so now the movie is doing this thing where it's like the storytelling has stopped. Basically, in a sentence, they can convey that he is looking for the answers to the questions, but they spend a few minutes going back through the movie with you and basically grabbing your hand and saying, no, come on, come on, we're going to do this. It'll be okay. It spent all of this time building up this world without... And then it broke it, and then it lets you watch the broken parts. Yeah. Then it's Yeah, now it's giving you permission to, to just run around in this crazy world. And um, see, I think what it happens. works. I mean, do you think this works? I I was okay with it at the beginning. I don't. I guess I can now I mean, watching. I'm saying where it's like, yeah. wow, that is a big leap. Well, yeah, dissecting it as we go. I guess I can see how that could be a break. You know, where some people wouldn't make that jump. But watching it the first and up until now, the first time and up until now, I, I never had a problem. It is foreshadowed nicely. It's. Like we were saying about Sixth Sense, they're, they're not clues in the same way that the Sixth Sense leaves clues. But going back and watching it a second time, you do, you do see that it's, it's set up. In the, but basically, even just in behavior, in the way Marla behaves, in the way the space monkeys behave. It's also there... To a certain extent, they're hanging a, a lantern on this whole fact in the in the way he basically spends ten to fifteen minutes going. This is I know this is crazy. This, this is totally is crazy, crazy. But I've been crazy. I've been an asshole. Please deal with me. What's funny is that this is uh, this little sequence here where the guy is uh, the waiter is clearly a member of Fight Club as well. It's also an interesting casting choice because I think he's the like he's a member of a band that the band slips my mind right now. Uh, but it's kind of weird that he's like, clean food, please. And he's like, can I advise against this, this, and this? And he's like, yeah, please, not that. Where clearly all of Tyler's little you get the head in the beginning of the film. The entire kitchen stuff. Yeah. yeah. You get all three chefs going, uh, nodding. Yeah. Or there this with, is yeah. a movie of self-indulgence. But, and- he's al- but he's also clearly figured it out. He's, he always – he just assumes that we're dealing with yeah. Fight Club people because he's the one who goes clean. <laughs> and he's like – well, all right then. You know, basically, <laughs> that'll take some doing. But yeah, yes. exactly, anything for Tyler Durden. It's an interesting exploration of conspiracy theories in the sense that you're 
You're right when he he just assumes that whoever he deals with is a member of right. this vast interconnected group of secret So society. much so that he just says, clean food, please. Yeah. Although, to be fair, there are cues that he's going by. He's going by the fact that the waiter looks like he hasn't slept for a while and he's healing up some bruises, right, and right. et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, when you get down to it, Fight Club as an entity is a conspiracy theory. It's a true one in the sense of the, the movie. <laughs> it's true. But Project Mayhem and stuff like Project that. Project Mayhem. They're this, in charge of everything. It's this vast shadowy group that, yeah, is responsible for all of these unrelated things that we that we see in the normal world. Right. It's this underlying explanation, explanation that, that makes everything make sense. Right. Which in the real world doesn't it's bullshit. Make sense. Right. People just need to have a reason to think things are okay. They need to apply patterns to things where patterns don't exist. I always like that line for some reason. I'm okay, you're okay. All right, no, right. yeah, I'm sorry, you're sorry, everyone's sorry. Right. Like, I, I always thought that, I'm like, I don't know why, but I really like that line. It As sounds a, very true somehow. It sounds very, well, it sounds like someone that is not part of the other person's world just for the sake of being there. It sounds right. like someone that's got their own thing, where she's not referring to just him. Right. She's saying, everyone that I've ever met has been sorry. Well, right. it's that sentiment when you're, uh, you know, oh my. That must have been a hell of a shot, by the way. Just <laughs> yeah. being like, oh my God. You know, oh, <laughs> my, shut up. you shut, shut your up. whore mouth. <laughs> my uncle died. Oh, I'm sorry. And it's like some people say, "Why are you sorry? Did right. you kill him?" And it's like, right. "No, I'm just trying to be a human being, asshole." Right. But it's, it's I'm that sympathetic same sens- is what I mean. It's that same sentiment. It's like it's just the natural impulse that we have to do because we're human right. beings. Right. It's like but okay, it's it's a given at this point. Some, Let's just move on. Yeah, that's true. I mean, some people do take it too far. I know a lot of people who apologize for no good reason. It's like they're like, "Oh, I'm sorry." I'm like, "Okay." I want. Uh, we're gonna stop now, and you're gonna explain to me why you're sorry for what just happened. We haven't yeah. talked about the score yet, but the score was done entirely by the Dust Brothers, and mm-hmm. it's such an interesting. Everything about this movie represents what's an odd, timeless choice, and and Fincher seems to be very good at that because we said the same thing about Seven when we were watching it, where everything about the movie doesn't say 1995. It just, oh, no. it's just this movie where it's like you could pop this unless something changes. If something changes to make this movie feel dated. All movies will feel dated. Well, and, and everything again, about this film exists in a universe where, in fifty years, you could pop this in and it would feel exactly true to form. He avoids using like cell phones or technology of much of any kind. I mean, he shows computer monitors exploding, which you couldn't you couldn't really fill an LCD with gasoline quite the same way. And uh, <laughs> if I recall correctly, computer monitors were the one thing we gave him for seven too, where it's like that's the only thing that makes this not a nineteen sixty five right. precinct. Well, every, and and also, I mean, he avoids showing cell phones, but everyone has a home phone in this, like a centralized home phone and it's like you look at it now and you're like who has that nobody has that everyone has cell phones like no one actually has a landline anymore that i know of well yeah our demographic older people right we we as a demographic having grown up with cell phones don't have landlines because there's no point right but we're still in that section of history where a significant portion of society still has landlines. Sure, sure. And it's I, and, and quite frankly it's better to show the landline than the big brick of a cell phone on the side of their heads you know so because a landline is still something that's around. You can yes, have it, just exactly. most people don't. Right. Just, but, but you show a certain model of cell phone, and it's like, that's not how that works anymore. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't have been the break of a cell phone at this point, but still. It's like, this, that ain't an iPhone. <laughs> this must have been 10 years ago. There are so many sequences to this movie that are just unsettling. Mm-hmm. And this is probably one of the best. Yeah. This is just so terrifying because there's what else can you do? There's nothing you can do in this situation. 
Yeah, this is and, exactly. It's the kind of situation where you're like, oh my god, like like this is great screenwriting because you're like, how in the fuck yeah. is he going to get out of this? It's one? It's constantly raising the stakes every time. It's you know he every time he goes from one situation, you're like, how the hell is he going to get out of that? The next situation he lands in is an even worse. Right. Uh, I actually don't remember how he gets out of this. <laughs> like it's been a while since I watched this. Does he steal one of their guns or what happens? Yeah, here? I think he gets one of their guns away mm-hmm. or something. And the question is, why does he keep his mouth shut? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he go, nah! <laughs> I think he's just in such shock. It's one of those things where you don't know what to do. And again, someone someone gives you something to do. Like, you, you don't know what to do. Someone tells you something to do and you're like, oh, well, okay. okay, that's as good as anything else right now. And you just, yeah, there, there he goes. Go. He got the gun. I love the way he gets off the table there. <laughs> he waves the gun. He has no idea. What a perfect it. picture of insane. It's White beautiful. boxers, blue shirt, trench coat. Yeah, grab them binders. <laughs> I love how he's, at that point, he's like, what would Tyler Durden say? <laughs> like, there's actually a website now called What Would Tyler Durden Do? And it's a blog about celebrities being retarded. Nice. It's, been it's kind of like Perez years. Hilton, except less obnoxious. And, and, and it's been around as yeah. long. I've been, I've been reading WWTDD since 2006. Now, this whole sequence and the remainder of the film takes place in Santa Monica and Avenue of the Stars. Like, basically, yeah, if you know you're Los Angeles, you realize, hey, they're just shooting on the fucking Fox lot. Right. And in fact, no, 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 not the lot. The actual Fox Pictures office park. This sequence takes place literally between Fox-owned buildings. And the entire end sequence, we've been, re- we've been referring to this the entire time, all those buildings are Fox-owned buildings. They're not the same well, layout. The buildings, they took the but buildings, Century but they City. moved them around. Yeah, I think... Uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. In any case... The, I think it's just Century City. In but. any case, Fox has a long history of blowing up its own shit and using its own resources for... I mean, in, 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 insofar well, why as... why not, really? Well, seriously, the Die Hard building is the Fox right. headquarters building. I mean, it's just like... that's the, we, Look, guys, we've Which got a skyscraper. Die Hard got made because they're like, hey, this, this is an action movie that takes place in a new skyscraper, and we just have a new skyscraper, <laughs> so... One. Let's fucking make it. Let's blow but now shit the, up. Now the question is: Does Nakatomi Tower, the building from Die Hard, does that show up here? I don't know. Probably. I'm sure it does. What well, interesting. We should keep an eye out for it. Whatever. Who gives a shit, Brian? I I give a shit. Who cares? I care. I care. Is this a this is a different? No, it's the same. But he does somehow somehow Watch. Tyler. Oh oh ow! <laughs> that was retarded. And then he pops up on the other side of the glass. It's awesome. And that's our first instance of Tyler Durden doing something that he that clearly is clearly supernatural. I love that bit. It's it's almost like they they had intended to use real glass and have it be cool, and then it just kind of slides away because it's safety glass. I, I feel like that would be almost a moment you'd watch and you <laughs> like as the filmmaker, you'd be like, I want it to shatter, and then it does this stupid thing where it just slides away, and you're like, that's that actually cool. kind of works better for yeah. what we're talking about. Like nothing is that's as what cool would as happen to, to exactly. Edward Norton's character. It, it wouldn't be cool. It would be yeah. kind of lame and anticlimactic. <laughs> David Fincher is this odd, very, very visual storyteller when it comes to things like this. Because even with the sound off, you know exactly what's happening. Mm. And that's weird. There's a lot going on. Like, there's some weird theories and concepts at work in this, in this end sequence that you are 
pretty much completely communicating visually. Well, yeah, and the dialogue is only supporting. It. And again, we've—I mean, David we've, Fincher is like a thinking atheist Spielberg. <laughs> we've talked about—we've uh, talked about this before. I mean, we talked about it in Ghostbusters. I mean, this is the kind of movie that has taught you how to watch the movie. And if you just came in at this point, you'd be like, "Fuck this! Yeah, this doesn't make any sense at all." But because the movie has brought you to this point, you're like, "Oh yeah, totally! I'm right there." And if you and if you're not, you left ten minutes ago when you found out that Tyler right. Durden was imaginary. However, I'm still feeling uh, more so than I was in the beginning of the movie. I'm feeling 1999 right now. Really? Uh, I don't know why that is. Is it because okay. everything's all grungy right now? Maybe part of it. It might just be because I'm thinking of Snatch, just the skinny Brad Pitt look. Mm. I don't know. Photogrammetry. God, that works so well. That looks really good. In this shot, it does. Or in this movie, even. I love this, you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This that's, is that's something that's always funny to you because every time you watch a movie with this harrowing sequence of wire, I mean, it's been in every movie ever where they try to cut the rock wire, and the last second he switches the wire, and all of a sudden Ed Harris doesn't die. I mean, you always think, God, that's so terrifying. And then if you just add this really charismatic guy saying, "Not that one, not uh-huh. that one, uh, yeah, that one, no, no, ah, ah," but it's also I can't die. I'm imaginary. Brad Pitt's one of those char- uh, one of those actors. I guess every actor is like this, but it's one of those things where you're like. There is always a movie that you associate an actor with. Okay. You know, and it, 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 you know, you're like, oh, it's that guy from Blah. And he may have done 20 movies, but that's right. the movie that you associate him with. And I, I personally associate Brad Pitt most strongly with Fight Club. Me too. Interesting. Same, same for Edward Norton for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edward Norton, oh, yeah, this is yeah. a toss up between this and American History X. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Gestalt of Norton. <laughs> it's a book I wrote. <laughs> I love how ridiculous he is right there. Too. He's like, Here Woo! Here's our first, here's our second supernatural. Bam. Mm-hmm. Now, like I was saying earlier, I've heard arguments levied against this where everything works for them, every leap of logic they've taken, except for when he starts doing things that he literally physically can't do, like dragging. By the way, he's now wearing the porn tank top. Uh-huh. Uh Literally dragging himself from the collar in a way that no one could. Uh, you see Edward Norton do it in a security cam piece of footage and the person says ah that's why this couldn't happen mm-hmm. but the fact is edward norton did that it's the same thing as when he pulls himself up by his tie from the ground it's just it's well there's it's, certain... it's an old vaudeville right. sight gag trick basically it's just using your body in a way that you can communicate a, a movement that doesn't seem to be realistic like the moonwalk or something like that mm-hmm. there's certain instances in here like tyler Durden throws a shoe at himself if you really look at it <laughs> like, how does that work <laughs> i like that bit where he's like oh how am i looking all right Oh, wait. I'm imaginary. Here so, it is. Yeah, here it is. Good. This is our sequence right I'll here. I look fine. There it is. Yeah, that bit does look a little weird, I gotta, I gotta say. But, yeah, he had to have done that himself. This stunt guy, apparently they shot it because it's Fincher like ten times. Uh-huh. And oh. they used the first take. Right. I can't even... Because you know the thing is, it's the same... Whenever you watch like one of those time-lapse footage... Or, or not time-lapse, the high-speed camera shots of a guy doing like a karate chop on a board, you realize something very important that's an, it's important to know about not only karate and what hands are like, but about human nature in general, which is that no one's a superhero. Right. Someone says they can chop a board in half. It's not like they're doing something that you couldn't conceive to do. Right. They're just doing it. Right. There's you a, there's you watch a... that and you watch the phalanges of their hand crush. Right. A slow-mo shot of breaking a board is insanely there's, terrifying to watch. There's um there's a movie called This Is Kung Fu that has that has a lot of different styles and stuff like that. And and if you're into martial arts in general and you know, even martial arts filmmaking and stuff like that, it's it's fascinating to watch because there's there's one where it's like they go through all these different styles and there's one that's like duck style, which is like they just pick some 
hobo <laughs> to do some weird because it's like the weirdest thing you've ever seen. I've never heard of duck style anywhere, but in this, but anyway, um, there's a bit at the end which is like a, a kung fu family where they just like generation the aristocrats, after, generation after generation, and there's a bit where they break bricks on each other's head, right? And there's a high speed bit of breaking bricks on like this. Eight-year-old kid's head, like this this eight-year-old boy, and it's just a close-up on him, and like it hits the top of his head, and you see the entire, all the flesh and everything just shift down off his skull, and then bounce on back, and it's like, but he's smiling the whole time. He's like, because he's been doing this since he's like four, right? And it's like, it's just this insane thing, like what you were saying. It's like that seems. That seems like something went horribly wrong there, but it's like if you if you just watch it in real time, it doesn't you don't see anything. But it's in slow comp- motion, it's but, like you know, oh my god! And we got into this because I was thinking in terms of at the end of the day, nothing you can do can prepare your body for flying down two flights of concrete <laughs> stairs. Guess what? I don't give a fuck if you're a stuntman. I don't care if you know what part of your body to land on. It's not gonna not hurt. You're going to fall well, down that, some that, goddamn stairs, and no matter what you do, you run not only the risk of bruising like a mofo because your skin's made out of the same fucking thing my skin's made out of, you also run the risk of death. Right. But you uh, have a better chance of landing where you should land, but at the end of the day, between the guy that's chopping a board with his hand and the guy that's running down steps, it's not like, wow, I wish I could do that. You can't. He can't. Don't do that. No, I don't I don't totally agree with that, to be honest. I mean, with, with stunt work, it's like... Someone, if if someone flipped you over and you fell wrong, you could seriously hurt yourself. If you fall the right way, if you know how to fall on your back, you don't get hurt at all. You don't get bruised. You don't you don't get the wind knocked out of you. You just there, there's a certain way that you Stairs. can. Well, I don't actually, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not that little level of stunt stuff. So I don't know how people can fall downstairs. I don't know how people can be thrown into the corner of a wall, like the the corner of two walls. And not seriously, like, destroy themselves. But somehow they can, you know, and it's, it's it just is. knowing the way to knowing the way to take that hit. And it, it probably hurts, but it's not a permanent kind of hurt. It's more like running into the wall if you if you miscalculate as you turn a corner or whatever. I don't know. I think it's a it's a combination of, of the two. It's a certain amount of training that tells you how to do something. But you're in the at the end of the day, if you're getting hit by a car, you're still physically getting hit by a car. Right. I was working on some short film where that had some stunt doubles to it, and the stunt doubles were, it was like this guy and his girlfriend, and they had done stunt work on Lost, and she had done something where she... Oh, you can still fuck yourself up, even oh, if you're oh, professional. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But... And she, she had done something where she had gotten hit by a car and was knocked out flat cold. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's... Being a stunt man, or a stunt woman, a stunt person... Trains you to make it less dangerous, but it's, it's still you're still doing what what is physically happening, and there right, here we go. Oh, this is a big deal. This is a major cool effect shot here, right? And this bit we skipped over it because his name was in the the opening credits, the big pullback. But we were talking about other stuff. Um, going back to the thing, this was um, in part they used a uh, a dummy head by Rob Bottin. Really? Who, who made all the thing? Maybe for the blowing creatures. up parts, but I know I know what they did was they based the entire comp off of well, this plate they got of Edward Norton with like a fucking this insane air gun jammed right. up into his mouth. They they shot a bunch of stuff with the with the head. I think they only used like one. They used the side of the face exploding off or something. What's interesting is that they tell he you, was involved. They, they, hmm. they, 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 I've heard, I've read. I don't I don't know where they give you this instruction, but when you want to kill yourself by putting a bullet in your head, you fill your mouth with water because yes. it will it will it, it it there's no cavities in your head that way. 
Right, right. You, you can the you force can, of you, it you just can makes... exhaust all of the all of the force of the air, which would be more damaging than the bullet in some cases, out your mouth just by having room in your mouth for it to circle around right. and spit back. But out. the but the bullet but if, you shoot, if you shoot up into your chin with a mouthful of water, your head's gonna pop. The water explodes because of the pressure. Yeah, and, I mean, basically, it's it's asking someone here to believe that you could blow a hole through your head and not die, and As... that, that happens. All the time. As long as you it don't hit anything major. Most of the time, but it does happen. Right. Well, I mean, you can you can shoot yourself in the side of the head, and I've I've heard stories of people who who point the gun at the side of their the head, temple. and the the bullet basically just goes follows bing. the skull and goes out the other side, and it's like what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. But they survive that shit, and it's like if you if you're gonna kill yourself, make sure you do it right because yeah. you don't want to survive that shit. Because whatever was wrong with you before that made you want to kill yourself, you're just gonna make it worse. There's nothing. There's nothing worse than being a failure at killing yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then you're the real failure. Then you probably d- should kill yourself, but you know you can't. So then what? Um, then you do a commentary like down. Yeah, exactly. But but at this point, I mean, we're you know we've really reached the point of him. He says, my eyes are open, and he's like, now I understand that it's not about anyone else, and it's not even about you. Like, there's no such thing as a role model. I've just got to figure my own shit out, right. essentially. So Century City buildings, mostly, or at least some of which are Fox-owned buildings, I think the most present of those is, is the Fox, is the Nakatomi Tower, uh, are, are all composited in, to the map painting that's been here this whole time, basically getting us used to the fact that here's the buildings. Right. Uh, because it's the same element they're going to use. It's basically the first frame of this sequence, right. which took a guy about a year and a half to do. Yep. He was animating the fourteen months individually, each each individually. Each piece of that that glass. I mean, this is back again. I, I read the Cinefix before before looking at this. There was a whole big thick article about it, and it's like this was back at a time where he's like, yeah, particles just weren't going to work, and it's like we couldn't affect gravity and stuff like that. Whereas it's like you want something like this, and it's like. A guy this is could just do saying this looks perfect. Like yeah, it's been it's been ten years nowadays. A guy could do it on his home computer in like a month or two. But like back then, it took it took fourteen months because each penis? piece of glass there were like yep there it is, there were like a, a half million pieces of glass falling and, and stuff looks, like that. And it really and it's not even one of those things where it's like this looks perfect, but it really kind of doesn't. That really right. looks good. That looks awesome. And this yeah. song here, uh, "Where's My Mind" by the Pixies, is the only non-Dust Brothers piece of music right. in the entire film, and it goes out on such a perfect note. Yeah, and it was all—I uh, mean, all that stuff we were looking at was very carefully choreographed. They—they they had the front buildings fall down, revealing the back buildings, which then fell down and stuff like that. And they were talking about like if you really had this stuff, it'd be about four minutes, and the smoke from the first buildings would totally obscure the second buildings and stuff huh. like that. So that's why they did it CG, even though that was pushing the limits of the technology at the time because they thought about doing it practically and they're like doing having it so much dust having it look exactly having it look real wouldn't get the effect that he wanted so he went with animation it looks perfect it's such a perfect example it looks it looks you can use a computer to do something that you really can't do in real life right but it feels right for the moment and for the 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 film you know anyway fight club 1999 david fincher brian has this changed your opinion about it anyway i mean (laughs) what uh, I don't know if it's changed. I mean, it's it's a great film. It's a great example of of something. We talk a lot about movies that needed an extra draft or two uh-huh. for all the elements to really be this woven didn't. in. Right. This, this this is the one that took all them drafts. Yes, and, this, and made itself. Yeah, this was definitely they kept working on it until they had it, and it shows. Michael? Yeah, it's. I mean, I mean, um, according to the IMDb, or I think it's the IMDb. Like once they once they had cast Pitt and Edward Norton, they were like, all right help 
it became a real collaboration of figuring out the script, and they wrote like five more drafts after the actors came on, which Norton has done since then. I mean, he worked a lot on right. uh, uh, Incredible Hulk and stuff like that. Norton's like, kind gets, of known for he gets rewriting very, the projects he's Yeah, he gets for. very involved with it. But um, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. It's the kind of movie that still holds up and, and is a great example of a movie that is saying something without being a message movie. Right. Like, and, and, and astonishingly so, because it even... Like we talked about, because it's heavy-handed. At it, times. It's heavy-handed and yeah. it literally slaps you in the face with what it's talking about. Yet somehow it comes across as being very elegant and very, very subtle in the way it does it. And at other times, this movie continues to be one of my favorites. Obviously, we were talking about how watching it and and without the without the audio on and just discussing it and kind of examining it, I was able to finally see what people say when it's like this is too much of a leap to make. But even that being the case, I still go with it and still appreciate it on every conceivable level of filmmaking and think this is just an one of those all-time perfect movies. I wish there are several. There are, there are many movies that yeah. are all-time perfect movies that aren't like the perfect movie. Just a movie that says, That's here's the universe, yeah. here's the characters, yeah. here's every concept we could possibly do, here's a mature way to handle all of them. Enjoy. Yeah. This movie is just an insane craft. Of, of, it just blows me away every single time. Uh, but until next time, this has been Down in Front, and you can find us at downinfront.net or on iTunes if you search for Down in Front. Subscribe, listen to all of our commentaries. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash downinfront. Until next time, my name is Teague Christie. And I'm Brian Finnifer. Mike Scott. And this has been Down in Front. Thank you very much for listening. Good night. Good night. Good night. friendsinyourhead.com